Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast looking at the NB's top 250 movies of all time. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? I'm very good, thank you, Darren. How are you today? I'm good. I have a little bit of a sore throat, so I may end up talking a bit less than You've usual. Already Much done to the a lot of talking. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the talking like so far has the been the curtain. With... <laughs> yeah. There, there, um, there has been some pre-talk, some like behind the paywall. Some some pre-game going on here. But yes, we are. Uh, it is Christmas is coming up, so Merry Christmas, Andrew. Uh, we're a week out. We're within the 12 days. I hope it is not, you know, unreasonable for me to wish you a Merry Christmas. Um, and we are talking about a movie that I think we've been wanting to talk about for quite a while. We'll talk about this maybe in a moment. But when, when the pandemic started, Andrew sent me a text message. Text message, you know, I don't have it to hand, but the basic content of it was that we are going to do so much recording during the pandemic. We should do all of the Lord of the Rings films. We should do all of the Lord of the Rings films extended editions. We should do, and this is where my eyebrows raised, commentaries. And I was like, Andrew, I love your game. I love your ambition. And then do like all 12 hours of behind the scenes footage as well. Like, why not? (laughs) Or like 14 hours or however many hours there are. How we put the podcast together, um, the documentary that everybody wants to see. But yes, so we are finally doing it to mark the 20th anniversary of its original release. We are talking about Peter Jackson's The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Rings, the first in his epic uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy. And we've assembled quite the fellowship to join us. So I believe we have Andy's mic. (laughs) Andy's mic? I, I don't know. I, I, I tried to do like a thing. I, I don't know what Dee and Grace are going to have. So how are you, they Andy? How are things? <laughs> they do all have mics, but it's kind I of redundant. If it's, you shall have that. my mic and my mic. And my, my microphone yes. and my mic. <laughs> yes. Oh, my headset. Yeah, my headset. I'm sorry. I just thought yeah, you got your reaction wrong or something. Was that, was, that, was that funny or am I really No, so? it was just terrible. It was terrible. No, it was <laughs> hilarious. It was really, really, really funny. Yeah, it's Andy. the best kind of joke is the one you have to explain. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, you, you have my mic. Um, you have, I'm, I'm on, yeah, hello. <laughs> Hey Andy. All right, so Andy having successfully killed that bit, we also have the wonderful Dee Malumbi from Entertainment.e. How are you, Dee? Hello, I'm very excited. That bit needed to be killed. There's <laughs> <laughs> more put out of its misery than killed, really. And my earphones. I'll try to bring it back. <laughs> a mine is no place for a bit as good as this. Um, and we also have the fantastic Grace Duffy. How are you, Grace? I'm good, thank you. Now that you can finally hear me. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. All right, so we are talking about the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And I know from talking to each of you individually um, over the time that we interacted that these are big movies for each of you. So I think to to start, uh, Grace, because Grace is probably the person I know who has the longest or the person who I've known longest with an association with the Lord of the Rings movies. I know that, for example, we are recording this not to peer too far behind the paywall, behind the paywall, (laughs) behind the curtain. (laughs) Um, but I, I know that... All of our brains have melted. Yeah, we are recording this... Uh, behind the, the pay curtain. Behind, yeah, one of those things. Um, I am as good with words as J.R.R. Tolkien. I'll get to my point eventually. Um, but uh, I know, like, we are recording this the week after the Lighthouse's uh, epic Lord of the Rings marathon, which is an annual uh, event, well, almost annual event, where they screen either the theatrical or extended editions over the course of a single day. And I know, Grace, you've done that a couple of times in the past. I have, yes. No, it's one of those things that's just like a really lovely tradition. I remember um, we did the theatrical marathon a couple of times. And then a few years ago, they started doing the extended edition marathon, which at first sounds like absolute lunacy. But 
Um, it's really one of those incredibly fun days that actually goes by way too quickly. And as soon, like when you've seen the films as often as I have, I suppose they do tend to zip by. And then after all four hours or so of Return of the King, you're always like, okay, yes, I'm ready to do this again. Let's come back tomorrow at noon, everybody. It's great. Um, but it's one of those lovely, um, like shared audience experiences where obviously everybody who goes along is a complete diehard and has seen it about 900 times and everybody laughs at the same moments and kind of laughs about three seconds before the moment happens because you all know it's coming um and it's just it's a really nice thing to be part of I think and to have that sort of shared experience with other people and and Andy I know you're you're kind of a big fan of kind of Lord of the Rings so I think it came up in conversation because we, we've mentioned a couple of times that you run a D&D group would it be safe to say that that's maybe what your affection for the films and the kind of the material comes from? No, quite the opposite. Um, I I just love these films. You know, they. I wish I loved them as much as Grace, but I've tried to do all three in one day. And by Return of the King, I'm like, why? <laughs> <laughs> these are rubbish. What? Still not? Yeah, that's that's what that, that's happens. The, wow, okay, that was by... that was a curveball. That was yeah, a that after, was not, I was not expecting that. After <laughs> eight hours, after eight hours, Darren, everything is rubbish. <laughs> Tell that to Sting. Oh. <laughs> Very, it's a current reference for the kids. Uh, hip and with it. Okay, so let's imagine that you're not watching the Lord of the Rings in a nine-hour marathon. Um, let's imagine you are watching them spaced out over the course of a year. Maybe let's, in December, maybe in 2001. Imagine, yeah, let's imagine they're the greatest thing on Earth. And it's like someone has made the Star Wars trilogy again for our generation to watch for the very first time. And you spend the entire time in the cinema crying. Um, the, 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 yeah. Tears of Joy? Tears of everything, Andrew. Did, did you know that there's there's um the, the one ring to rule them all, and it it's also one ring to find them, and one ring to bring them all, and in the dark to find them. Because I knew that, and when when they set that on the screen, I did little wee. <laughs> of course. So, um, so like, here's a question: Were you a fan of the books before you um watched the movies? Oh hell yeah. When did you first read them? Like, wh where does your history with Lord of the Rings begin? Um, I think I'm probably about the age of fifteen. I've got I've got tremendous affection for it. It's the first long book I I ever read. I think, and it is a long book. If you're going to read a long book, it's possibly a good one to start with. You, you threw some shade on Tolkien's prose there, but he's one of the few. Besides Mervyn Peake, he is the only fantasy writer who's allowed to get away with such nonsense. All right. Um, we'll, we'll come back to that. And D, what's your kind of initial reaction to the Lord of the Rings trilogy? Whether you watch them all in one marathon, whether you watch them all separately, what's your kind of big, like, immediate emotional response to them? Yeah, I kind of, I've kind of watched them. I suppose I, I watch these movies a lot. I've watched these movies almost every year since I saw them for the first time. So I've seen them a lot and mostly probably on the standard DVD edition. Um, we get them out at Christmas. If I'm bored halfway through the year, we might bring them out again during the pandemic. Uh, one of the like kind of marathons that I enjoyed the most with my then fiance, now husband, was 
Uh, we dedicated three Fridays to watching them. So Fellowship, then Two Towers, then Return of the King. And we were just so excited every Friday to watch Lord of the Rings. Um, we have actually done the Lighthouse um, marathon as well. The extended editions now have to admit um, at the time we lived in Dunleary. So during Return of the King, we had to leave because A, we were very tired. It is a long day with those extended editions. And B, we had to get the last bus home. So... <laughs> I mean, that's the famous story Elijah Wood has of meeting Jack Nicholson at the Oscars in the year Return of the King opened, where um, like he was asking Jack what he thought of the movie. And Jack's response was, I had to leave at the second ending, I had to get the car warmed up for the kids. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which is amazing. So it's, it's not, you're in good company, D, is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't leave like, it, it was maybe like, a, like halfway through Return of the King like like fair play to everyone who was left standing because I mean the, those movies must have ended at something like 1am you know um, so yeah that was kind of nuts and actually the last time I watched this particular one it was the extended edition kind of fancy Blu-ray um, and we and I, w- I said I had to rewatch it for a podcast and my husband was literally like let's get a viewing party together so like a bunch Aww. of us got together to watch it last Sunday and it was really quite lovely so yeah just nothing but affection for this movie every time I I go back and rewatch it and there aren't a lot of movies that I would rewatch as often as these ones Isn't there a night link to Dunleary? Was it on a weird day? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> follow up questions. No, <laughs> I, I, we were also just tired. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, that we, makes sense. It only I, comes on the hour. Yeah, it, it doesn't come up very often in the podcast. I'm the movie guy. Andrew is the public transport guy. Andrew's just <laughs> taking this opportunity to really hammer that point home. Darren um, uses public transport and the Sword Sex Press. Yeah. Which is, is both a uh, an express bus service that operates the city of Swords, uh, while also being a uh, somewhat uh, purple publisher, a uh, purple prose publisher. Um, but yes. Make erotic novels. Um, yeah, yeah swordsexpress.com is the website of the Swords Express bus. Yeah, Swords uh, and Sandals kind of. What? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you were about to ask me something. This, listeners may have deduced that Andrew and I are recording separately after last week's Andrew Killed My House incident. Andrew has apparently managed to kill his own house. Yeah. How are you, Andrew? Are you there? Um, I'm still here. <laughs> okay. Um. We are professional as ever. <laughs> so... What about yourself, Andrew, and the Lord of the Rings? Yeah. Uh, what is your kind of like background experience? Because you you text me early in the pandemic and we're like, let's do this thing. Yeah. And I, being somebody who listens to my podcasting partner, was like, yeah, we'll do them in like 18 months. So like, are you a big Lord of the Rings fan? No, no, I, 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 I don't I don't care for her. Um, Lord of the Rings. Um, no, I, I've, 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 I've never, I never had any interest in them and I've and, and I've tried to watch um I think it was the the, the two towers is that the second one yeah. it was on a, a bus we were going to Oh like, was, uh, it was a rugby match or something if I remember this correctly Exactly yeah yeah, yeah. and I I think I, I I went to sleep instead and um yeah and and, and and I I I think I think at some point I might have tried to watch it and felt it was a bit too long but it, and it just kind of wasn't my thing um, Are you are you joking no, no, I, no! I keep, I keep waiting for the punchline. Oh. No, I, 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 um, I mean, it is, um, it's, it's, it's kind of like because Andy knows me from playing Dungeons and Dragons. Um, yeah, you, you hate magic. You hate Dungeons and Dragons. 
You hate lords and rings. When playing Dungeons and Dragons, you actively avoid magic, and you... I do. You're always hoping for me to... Andrew, Qu- Andrew Quinn's character in Dungeons and Dragons once got a temp job and became <laughs> a real a, a fake-life accountant. That's how much he hates magic in a realm of infinite magic. We should also point out that, like, in real life, Andrew is is also, like, a pensions advisor or accountant. So, like, I love that his fantasy... No, 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 no. Yeah, there was at some point um, trying to get into currency debasement (laughs) in the fantasy world. The important questions. Um, I think there might have been a few times. Yeah. It was was like a dwarf that was always trying to make money. Um, Not to engage in stereotypes, which I'm sure we certainly won't come back to when discussing the work of Tolkien, the representation of dwarves in that. You pick up the books and you read about, like, kind of dwarves and the choices, like, whether you're going to go with kind of the description that it gives them or whether you're going to book the trend. And this this character did book the trend in certain ways in that he wasn't kind of terribly close to his family, um, which is, I think, something important to dwarves, but... Anyway, sorry, this isn't the <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons podcast. No. Um, all right, let's let's talk a little bit about Lord of the Rings. Let's let's put it all um, in context. This is, I think Andy described it there, gave a really good description of it as possibly our generation's version of Lord of the Rings. It was a seismic pop. Oh, sorry, of Star Wars. Yes, it's possibly uh, like a seismic cultural event, one that has had massive impact, one that has spawned even a prequel trilogy that it was perhaps less well-received and perhaps more loaded with computer-generated special effects that perhaps drowned out the storytelling sensibility of the artists behind it, not to stretch the parallel past the point of recognition. But I do think there is something to that. I think that like The Lord of the Rings has a resonance for perhaps people of our generation, not to age anybody who is listening to or kind of like, you know, on this podcast right now. It is a massive like cultural event. And so, Andy, I know that you read the book beforehand, but Grace D, did you have any familiarity with Tolkien's work before you saw Lord of the Rings? When was the first time you saw it? Or did you just go into the cinema blind? Did you see it in the cinema? Did you wait for home video? So Grace, what was your first encounter with this movie? Um, my first, <laughs> this is actually one of those kind of little stories that we have at home. But my, I'd, I'd read The Hobbit when I was in school. So this, that would have been the year before um, Fellowship came out. But um, I had no even inkling that they were even making a movie of Lord of the Rings. Like I knew the name of it, but I didn't know anything about it because this was a blissful pre-internet time when I could live in ignorance and be happy. But um, basically, the month that Fellowship came out, uh, we had a death in the family that was very sudden and unexpected and quite horrible. And in the course of visiting relatives, um, for the funeral, my Nana gave me and my brother and sister a copy of a disc that she'd gotten in a paper that had the trailer on it, because again, these were more joyful, simple times. Um, and we watched the trailer for, there, there was a trailer for Fellowship and then there was kind of like a teaser trailer for the rest of, tr- of the trilogy on that. And that was the first time I'd come across anything to do with it. And of course, our like youthful minds, because I would have been 13 at the time, I was just completely blown away by all of this and immediately obsessed. So we went to see it in the cinema and then it just kind of became our, our annual tradition for about three years. We would always go to see it on New Year's Eve, I remember. Um, and it was like that. That's how I came across it originally. And even though it was kind of like a sad month, it was also like a really nice month because it, Lord of the Rings then became something quite comforting that I think we associated with that time. So, yeah. 
And Dee, what about yourself? Were you familiar with kind of Tolkien's book before you, you kind of saw the movie? Did you just approach the movie as something of itself? What was your kind of... Yeah, um, I've never read the book. <laughs> Honestly, no one's really sold it to me. They've said it's basically <laughs> like a long history version of the movies. And I'm like, I don't want that. Um, I have read The Hobbit, but that was after seeing Lord of the Rings and before seeing The Hobbit. And I did not like the way it was adapted. Um, but <laughs> my first time seeing uh, Fellowship, and I feel like I may have mentioned this already on uh, the Dune podcast previously. But anyway, um. I was, um, I saw it on DVD. I was at my cousin's house and he had um, Fellowship and Two Towers on DVD and we watched them both. And what was really handy having him there was that he was explaining to me as we went along, like the context and stuff. And that was great because then when I showed it to my family, I was able to explain all that context and stuff. Now, I, I probably don't have as much context even now as say like my husband would who like just knows all the lore, all the everything. But I'd know enough for to fill in like the blanks if you're a little confused by certain bits that, you know, happen in the movies. Um, but the third one I saw on the big screen with um, a girlfriend of mine who like, you know, two movies and we were super, super fans. And I'll just say the story really quick because I know it's fellowship we're focusing on rather than Return of the king but um we went shopping beforehand and i lost our two cinema tickets and i was like oh my gosh but we went to the cinema and i was like look i read our tickets so i know we're in seats whatever it was like f6 and f7 and we are in those seats and they were like okay right they brought us into the screen the entire cinema was sold out except for f6 and f7 so they were like okay and they let us into our seats it was oh it was such an amazing day um, so yeah, it's funny, like, I suppose that's the thing about Lord of the Rings, like, there are these very heavy, like, you know, themes of nostalgia and community and family and like, kind of, you know, having your roots and stuff like that. And I think that that's kind of what resonates with people and why it it strikes up such a fandom and why it has um, so why there are so many kind of lovers of the movies out there, you know? Yeah, I mean that that's a, an interesting kind of thing to kind of to to, to to discuss in terms of like Lord of the Rings and in terms of kind of fellowship is that they they feel very earnest and very old fashioned and very traditional and like okay to, to to be absolutely clear before we begin we should probably actually just quote Tolkien himself. Tolkien's official stance on interpretations of his work is I cordially dislike allegory. So Tolkien, not a big fan of people reading his work as allegorical or reflecting the times in which they are written or the times in which they were read. But one of the things I do find really interesting about Lord of the Rings is that he worked on the story that will become The Hobbit. Uh, he famously wrote the first words of that, in a hole in a the ground there lived a hobbit, uh, reportedly on summer exam transcripts in 1930. Now, his son Christopher claims that before that he had been telling Hobbit-based bedtime stories to his sons, and that had been inspired perhaps by his time during the First World War, where several of his friends went overseas and served, and two of them, Smith and Gilson, uh, both passed away during that conflict. And he's written a great deal about how that conflict affected him and how the scars of war came, you know, kind of with him and shaped and informed him. He began working on The Lord of the Rings itself in 1937 as the shadows of war gathered over Europe. Uh, he sent his two sons off, Michael and Christopher, off to war. And notably, like, if you read some of the words that he wrote to them in his letters, uh, keep up your hobbitry in heart and think that all stories feel like that when you are in them. You're inside a very great story. 
and listen to that line and tell me that that doesn't sound like Sam counseling Frodo at a key point in Return of the King. Um, basically, he eventually published or he, he sent his final draft of the Lord of the Rings to publishers in 1946, so the year after the Second World War ended. But while he has himself said that like, he didn't intend it as any allegory or commentary on that time or that moment in history, virtually everybody who has read the books or everybody who read the books when they were initially published and they became best-selling sensations said that to them, it was reminiscent of the story of what the Second World War had been. Ian McKellen, who obviously plays Gandalf in these movies, you know, says, you know, having been born in 1939 and remembering sleeping in an Anderson shelter against the Nazi bombers, I found it easy to identify Hitler with Sauron. Um, and so, like, that sort of stuff filters through. You have Keith Akers talking about how, like, the Lord of the Rings is a story about good versus evil. For most of us, the Second World War was surely justified, and surely the violence used in resisting the evil Sauron in Lord of the Rings would be justified by that. Um, and that sort of stuff kind of plays through. And one of the arguments is that, like, I think we had Grayson talking about um, the the kind of the Gone with the Wind, and how Gone with the Wind was a movie that was obviously, like, produced and mostly shot before the Second World War. But when it was released in Europe in 1946, in the aftermath of the Second World War, it resonated with French audiences who saw this story of survival in a desolated wasteland, ravaged by war, and trying to just keep your head above water, and saw, yeah, that is a story that resonates with us right now now regardless of authorial intent but it's very vague i mean it, it, it doesn't that help yes yeah that it, yeah, that, well, it, that and the, that that it like the thing think of it in the kind of context of world war ii um is kind of i suppose makes perfect sense if you've just lived through world war ii and then, well, also, also, well, hold on. Okay, well, I would, I would argue that World War II, probably closer. Like, if if you're going to take allegory out of it, I would probably draw it closer to World War One in terms of the, the industrial age coming into a time that was perhaps associated with more, not moral behavior or more because there is no such thing, but maybe a certain uh, ex- expectation in terms of your conduct, and then World War One being about you know people lining up to do a cavalry charge and being met with machine guns. Like, there's there's a really obvious allegory for that in the way Saruman has this almost like industrialized age where he's destroying the world around him versus people who are you know when he creates a bomb and stuff like that versus people who are literally fighting with like bows and arrows and swords so like I'd say it will be closer to the first world war than the second world war if you were going to make that kind of um or if you're going to draw that allegory but it's a kind of a cipher though isn't it yeah I mean in terms of I, I can see where Tolkien is coming from and I mean to be honest like the story of like a, a a plucky good against a great and horrible evil has been in existence since like the Bible. So, you know, it's not really that unusual. Um, but it is probably the, the references he put in there in terms of how he designed the world, I would say, are probably a reflection to the time that he lives in. Um, but the same could be said for most, I suppose, um, books in, in that sense. What I, what I would say to that, though, is that like I think the Second World War stands almost unique in history, particularly compared to the First World War, particularly compared to, say, the Crimea War, particularly compared to, you know, most other kind of wars going through history, the Franco-Prussian War, all that sort of stuff. The, the Second World War is the good war. The Second World War is the war where the forces of, and again, like people are smiling and like it's more complicated than that in reality, but the mythology of it, and this is very much a story about mythology, mythology of the Second World War is it is the story of liberal democracy versus tyranny. It's the, the good war, well, the great the war. the previous wars were, were stories about 
um, like like at the time, you know that 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 that's um, but that, I, that's, I don't that, think that's okay. how you get people to go off and fight wars. I think in in historical terms, the 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 point that Darren's probably trying to make is that there's a visible good and bad in the Second World War, as in it's personified in certain people in a way that in other wars throughout history it perhaps wasn't quite. You weren't able to distill them down in that way. Yeah, in a in a way that if you're talking about wars in America, like the the pro the anti pacifist argument is yeah, but we had to fight the Nazis. It's not yeah, but we had to fight the Viet Cong. Yeah, but we had to fight in Korea. Yeah, but we had to go to Iraq mm-hmm. and Afghanistan. It's always no, we you had to fight the Nazis. The Nazis were evil and they needed to be fought. That sort of stuff. Anyway, the point that I'm I'm trying to to kind of build to before we got kind of derailed there is what I find interesting is that while these movies very famously shot mostly in one big section uh, from 1999 through to 2000. And maybe we'll talk a little bit about the production early later on because the production of these are absolutely fascinating. Um, but mostly shot between 99 and 2000, released in December 2001. And I find it interesting that, as, as kind of Dee pointed out, these stories of like nostalgia, romance and good versus evil. And I'm wondering if like they landed at the perfect time in the cultural zeitgeist where... Much like we talk about Star Wars reflecting the needs of an American generation after Vietnam, Watergate, and yes, Andrew, the moon landing. If like the Fellowship of the Rings and the Lord of the Rings trilogy landed at a time where perhaps people felt that they needed some like a rousing story of good versus evil, of us versus them, of liberal democracy triumphing in the face of immeasurable evil. Um, And I do wonder if like... The Lord of the Rings has that same thing of Star Wars, where the trilogy lands at the perfect time in terms of zeitgeist to have this kind of massive impression, because obviously it lands three months after September the 11th, um, just before the war on terror. And like you look at, say, the language uh, that the Bush White House uses during the early days of the war on terror, and like some of the language is a, a war for civilization, a great battle for our time. And here, here's one here. The story of our time. A story of courage defeating cruelty and light overcoming darkness. That is from George W. Bush's uh, statement, State of the Union address, uh, the following January. And I do wonder if it was an awful dose. <laughs> but uh, but I do I do wonder if like there's there's a there's an argument to be made that like regardless of authorial intent, because obviously this was shot way before then and all, edited way before then. No, I, but if I it just it connected, I if th- it connected, like I think it's fair to say that that. Um, like Tolkien had some idea about September 11th, but like, <laughs> when, like that's not just just that he had anything to do with it. It's just 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 that he... Dragonfire doesn't melt steel beams, Andrew. But... Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. No, yeah, no, but I would, like... I would agree with that to an extent. Um, I, 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 I agree with the point in a way that like, um, there are always good versus evil movies popping up and proving very popular. I do think there's something kind of timeless about that. And you've seen that across like various uh, franchises. I also find it quite interesting that Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, um, during the those three kind of years of consecutive releases also had crossovers with um, Harry Potter, for example. So is yeah. it just like the fantasy genre is just really popular with people? But I'd agree with what you're saying, uh, Darren, especially in the context of post 9-11, because this fellowship is actually my favorite of the three movies and the reason why it is is because it is the most hopeful 
of the three, I think. Um, it's the most kind of um, optimistic and you truly believe that they are going to do it, even though, um, well, I won't get into spoilers what happens <laughs> yeah. at the end. We're not in the spoiler zone yet. <laughs> but uh, it's, yeah, it would strike me as the most hopeful. And I think that that's the kind of message that people probably needed at that point versus uh, the following year you had the two towers. And I remember at the time of its release, there being concerns of, is it too soon to have a movie like this that has that kind of reference? I mean, in its title alone, it, it was quite uh, daunting. There was a petition. Yeah. There was a petition to rename the two towers because it felt like it was yeah. too soon after 9-11 to give a sense of how like context works and history works and stuff what like that. What was the petition petitioning for? They didn't have a counter proposal. They didn't have like, I, I feel like they were just name it something else. Call it Fellowship 2. I... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I found well, it quite the Lord odd. of the Rings, too. yeah, <laughs> two Lord, two Rings, the, the Ring and yeah. yeah, like how uh, Lord of the Ringer. I mean, Sorry. we 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 would just accept it now if it, if it were if if it had a different title, um, like the the what was the original title of Star Wars? It was something ridiculous. It was like the Adventures of. Um, uh, Whatever Skywalker's first name was, I can't. It wasn't. It was like Dave Skywalker. It wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't Luke. It was something. It was it Bob was like, Skywalker. Uh, Bing, Bing Bong. <laughs> yeah. um, but um, what what Aladdin? But like and, and like I find, but I, I do think there is because I mean like I look at these movies and I watch them now. They feel very earnest. They feel very sincere, and they feel much more sincere than say the blockbusters of the nineties, where you had movies like say Independence Day, movies like Men in Black, for example, uh, movies like Enemy of the State. I'm just naming Will Smith movies now, and they're a lot more. Um, <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, and to think that's on the far side of the millennium, you know, we're we're not even there yet. We're just priming ourselves. Millennium hadn't even hadn't even arrived. W two K had yet to happen. But I feel like you know, like, and then you you come out the other side and you look at where we are now, and you have like Marvel movies, for example, where everything is kind of like ironic and I am legend. (laughs) But everything is ironic and kind of self aware and referential and like winking and letting you in on the joke and stuff. And I think like you look at you watch Fellowship of the Rings today and it's it, like we had this conversation about Dune and Andrew's like there are maybe three jokes in this movie. And I feel like Fellowship kind of has a similar sort of vibe. There are perhaps more than three jokes here, but they're jokes that are within the world of the movie and they're not winking at the audience saying, ha look at how silly this is. It, the movie takes everything it's doing very seriously, which I think is to its credit and I think stands apart from a lot of the big blockbusters of the time like it's notable that like the movie that came out before this the the blockbuster that was supposed to be before this was zoolander and it was released after september the 11th and tanked because nobody was in the mood for that at that moment in time i say loving zoolander but is is that like andy is that fair to say is this a very sincere very earnest kind of movie and is that part of its appeal and it does that make it feel different from yeah yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah more like pursuit of happiness than than i am legend more like uh it is definitely more pursuit of happiness than i am legend it's it's um it's an interesting one like i was just thinking how how far we've come that we're looking back at this time as like a time of innocence <laughs> it's uh it's incredible. It it's like we're we're actually treating two thousand and one like Hobbiton. <laughs> it's um And we are living through the scattering, pure, which isn't in the movies, though isn't a yeah, spoiler. This um pure innocent place of 
innocence. <laughs> um, yeah, 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 yeah. It's uh, it's wonderful in its earnestness. As much as I love the, the Marvel movies and their particular brand of industrialized content, I I think, like um, like he said, I think um, this is the Fellowship in particular is the filmiest film of the films it stands it stands alone as a little a little segment of hope things break up but it ends on such a happy little note like we're all gonna we're all gonna go off in three separate adventures now it's like it's not it's not the breaking apart of the fellowship it's the the splitting into three even more awesome adventures that that can share screen time it's um there's nothing nothing sad in this in this film it's um it's it's a pure place of comfort and christmasy joy it is it's a very christmasy movie we're again it's released around december we're going to be releasing this around december the lord of the rings marathons the lighthouse are in november but also typically in december as well this is a very kind of christmasy togethery kind of movie um all right i think we're kind of reaching the the spoiler zone unless there's anything else that anybody kind of wants to say before we jump in there um so three questions to there- there's snow in it as well to make your Christmas Eve, <laughs> Moria. You gotta have snow in a Christmas Eve. I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> and they do make toys. Everybody does get a gift in the extended edition as well. Yeah. So it has a proper Christmas Eve vibe if you watch the long <laughs> extended edition. Gladriel is Santa. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Imagine if all you got for Christmas, though, was like some Santa hair. I'd say three Santa hairs. I asked for one, but he gave me three. Um, there's there's some special meaning in that in the gift of three in the context of the story but i don't know why santa would leave three hairs himself anyway <laughs> um and a broken carrot from the from is it pippin or mary which one of them breaks the carrot um yeah it's mary i think mary sits on the carrot could be the same well, stunt we... carrot from <laughs> from the village of brie as you into our begging conversation. Yeah, uh, Andy has Andy sent something to the text. He really wants to get into it. We'll get into that in the spoiler zone. All right, so three questions to, to get us started. So, Andy. You're sitting on carrot dog. Uh, <laughs> Andy, do you think Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, is one of the 250 greatest movies ever made? Obviously. It's currently ranked number 10. It is one of the few movies that we've covered on the podcast that was ever number one. It shot to number one on its initial uh, release. So it's now hovering around 10. So that seemed good? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I would I would put it in like... I mean, it, it's, it's a big... It's a big budget movie that I can imagine that certain... Like, art house people rolling their eyes at, but like compared to the the films we have today it feels like this beautiful boutique um, just absolutely treasurable work of historical art that needs to be preserved on the walls of the forever 10 films maybe not for its amazing like filminess but for its cultural impact Ooh. That's interesting. That is interesting. I want to... That's always a good argument. Yeah, the the kind of the importance of a film or or or, or what it might kind of like represent for a particular period. Yeah, I guess. I mean, 
also yet it 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 helps the linear to, to, the two questions the first two questions yeah. as well. um and grace what about yourself do you think that the lord of the ring the fellowship of the ring is one of the best 250 movies ever made oh yeah absolutely i mean just in terms of as an achievement when you think about the source material that it was adapting and the fact that it was coming into a cinematic environment where like it's it's not like anybody could have known there was a massive appetite for this particular kind of high level fantasy um and considering the level of detail and effort and sheer commitment that went into realizing those films i think it's a a really unique moment in time that kind of you had that all too rare alchemy where like the perfect filmmaker for something comes together with like just the right time to make it happen um and that just does not happen often enough so yeah on top of all the reasons um that it should be on there because it's a great film it should also be on there for what it represents i think yes we should maybe talk a little bit just uh, briefly about its production history because lord of the rings was one of those books that much like frank herbert's dune was considered unfilmable um how it came about is that director peter jackson who to this point was primarily known for making a series of splatter films uh in new zealand uh movies like brain dead is perhaps the most famous example meet the feebles uh which is the the puppet movie that he made and the one about the aliens who arrive and want to turn people into fast food um that like he was basically this kind of like low rent director who had mostly done schlock um basically he in 1994 decided that he wanted to make something that was a bit higher brow a bit upper market and he made heavenly creatures to do that to transition from the low budget indie level to a mid-budget indie level he had to create a weta digital and we'll come back to weta digital in a moment but that's the cornerstones of what this would become because they built uh, an infrastructure in new zealand for the purposes of kind of making movies that hadn't existed there before meanwhile harvey weinstein enters the story because of course he does um jackson basically is signed up by Weinstein. Weinstein signs a first look deal with Jackson saying, any project you want to work on, you're going to make with me. So Jackson manages to wiggle out of that, get a postponement, manages to make The Frighteners, which is his big test of making a blockbuster in New Zealand in 1996. He brings down uh, Michael J. Fox. He brings back G. McBride and they make a movie in New Zealand. And, you know, Universal are very, very, very excited about this prospect. Um, they, they really love the Frighteners. Uh, meanwhile, Weinstein is apparently so upset at the idea of like uh, of like Universal kind of snapping up Jackson that he's like, no, no, no. What do you want to do? What's what's your next dream project? So Jackson says, I would like to make a, a Lord of the Rings movie. Like, I want to make a fantasy movie. And he comes up with all these pitches and he finds that they all keep coming back to Lord of the Rings. No matter, no matter what else he tries to do, no matter how far he tries to get away from Lord of the Rings, it always ends up coming back to Tolkien. So he says, look, Harvey, can you figure out who owns the rights to The Hobbit and who owns the rights to Lord of the Rings? And maybe I'll make one of those movies. Meanwhile, Universal, who are very excited about The Frighteners, say, hey, want to make a movie with us as your next movie? And he's like, uh, yeah, sure. I'd love to make King Kong. Um, and apparently Universal say, yeah, yeah, green light, green light, make King Kong. It's going to be massive. Uh, we want to do a like Fox are doing Planet of the Apes with Tim Burton. That's going to make a bazillion dollars. We want our own crazy ape movie ready to go when that lands and everybody loves it. Uh, apparently Harvey Weinstein uses this uproar to basically strong arm Universal into giving him uh, Tom Stoppard's script for Shakespeare in Love. Obligatory Tom Stoppard shout out for Andrew in the audience there. I'm glad you like it. As this is happening, Universal released The Frighteners. It is a spectacular box office bomb. 
No company has ever, like, thrown out a project as quickly as Universal threw out Peter Jackson's King Kong, leaving Jackson holding the water and kind of coming limping back to Weinstein. Weinstein says, look, I figured out your Lord of the Rings thing. You're going to make Lord of the Rings for us, uh, and it's going to be one film, uh, and it's going to have a budget of $75 million. And Jackson is like, no, 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 that, that, that's not possible. We can't do one Lord of the Rings movie for $75 million. Weinstein says, fine, we'll do two movies for $75 million each, but you need to find another studio to come in and to sign off on it. And if they're, you know, and basically, so they end up shopping it around town. Apparently, the reason why Weinstein had set the budget of $75 million was because that was the terms that Disney had set with their Miramax production deal. So Weinstein was not going to spend any Miramax money making this no matter what happened. So Jackson takes the project around town and he tours all the studios. He is laughed out by Warner Brothers. He's laughed out by uh, Disney, uh, the parent studio. And eventually he settles on New Line Cinema. He takes it to New Line Cinema. New Line Cinema were originally known for being the home of schlocky horror movies. They're the studio that gave the world like Freddy Krueger. They're known as the house that Freddy built. During the, during the 90s, they begin to branch out with producers like Mike DeLuca. They start making movies like American History X. But Bob Shea, who is the executive in the meeting, uh, who, like, big fan of Jackson, had known Jackson a long while, and understood that he was the last call on Jackson's tour, said, no, we're, we're not going to give you the money to make two Lord of the Rings movies. That would be the stupidest investment in the history of the world. We're going to give you the money to make three Lord of the Rings movies. And the deal was made in the room. Um, Apparently agreeing to pay Harvey Weinstein 5% of the first dollar gross is the hardest decision that New Line Cinema ever had to make just in order to get him out of the project, uh, which I I really, really like. But yeah, basically they moved to New Zealand to shoot. Uh, Jackson basically convinced them to sign off on the frankly insane plan to shoot all three movies simultaneously in New Zealand because his argument was basically New Zealand will let us build uh, roads, they'll let us build houses, they'll let us build sets, but they won't let us build them and keep them there for three years. They will let us build them and we will need to shoot all of them there. So it is a massive investment. Um, and like New Line Cinema have said, basically, if this movie bombed, they would not exist anymore. This would be a studio killer. All of the money came in from foreign investors, uh, from like companies pre-buying in France and Germany and the UK and buying ahead of time, not having seen any of the footage whatsoever. Um, and again, it, it... They didn't even get that DVD with the newspaper. <laughs> they didn't even get the DVD with the newspaper. Um, and again, like he's, he's talked about how like Jackson's big thing was he had a 45-minute presentation with like models that he built himself to help sell the project to foreign investors. Um, he's talked about how when he was filming it, he would tell executives to just screw off because he was in New Zealand. He would just refuse to take phone calls in order to get it filmed. And he talked about how, like, what saved this movie were two things. Two, two big events saved the Lord of the Rings movies. The first of which was the leaking of the scripts to uh, Ain't It Cool News, Um which happened around the time that um, what forgot, that that New Line Cinema were considering pulling the plug on it. So Jackson released the scripts to a bunch of nerds online and let the bunch of nerds get really excited about it and basically pressure New Line into continuing to fund the movies. And the second thing is that they spent $2 million flying to Cannes, building the sets of Hobbiton 
in Cannes, in the Cannes Film Festival, and filming 26 minutes of footage from Fellowship of the Ring nine months before it premiered, at which point apparently all of the investors started sighing heavily and kind of just felt like it was a big relief. And then obviously the movie is released. There's never been anything like it, and it is a, a smash smash success so that is the the context the behind the scenes how this movie happened but d do you think this movie belongs a list of the 250 greatest movies ever made yeah i love it <laughs> i love this movie um and yeah i suppose my approach to it would be very generic in that i actually approach it from genre but i think you know we've talked a lot on on this podcast before about imdb is kind of being representative and how maybe there is some you know, more representations of artists work than necessarily need to be in there. But like when I approach it from this, from the perspective of a fantasy film, it's amazing. It just it creates this incredible world that you just totally immerse yourself in Um, from the perspective of action. It's got some really just so cool sequences in there that are still like so cool because um, like you were saying, they pull away from the CGI and really focus on kind of the practical effects and stunts. And that's really kind of helped it be quite timeless. And then from the perspective of being like just an adventure that you're just so kind of thrilled and taken away by. Um, and I think that, yeah, everything about it is great. The direction, um, that cast, they're so perfect. You really can't imagine these days other actors playing those roles. Um Although I know that, that that's up for debate and people are like, well, if it was filmed in this time, it would be blah, blah, blah. But no, I think that those, um, I think the standard of acting is perfect. And I think also kind of like you were saying before, Darren, it was it's kind of the earnestness that each of those actors bring to the roles. And I think that a lot of that comes from uh, the fact that a lot of them are very young. And this was a lot of their first like really big gigs um, that they bring that sincerity, whereas like you'd almost have yeah because I feel like Marvel's kind of ruined this there would almost be kind of maybe a slightly more smart alecky or tongue-in-cheek maybe nature to the performances now um which which you don't get in this like you really do yeah you 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 believe and you fall in love with those characters can Legolas have a catchphrase yeah exactly something like that just ugh, no (laughs) um and and Andrew what about yourself do you think this movie belongs on the list of the 250 greatest movies ever made yeah, sure. I, I I certainly wouldn't begrudge it. I I mean, I mean it's 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 not my thing, but it, but it but it's a very good. It's it's certainly a decent job, of adapting quite dense, source material into something that kind of works as a movie. Now you have to be kind of on board for like the. It was okay watching it this time because I knew I had to watch it, um, <laughs> and it like it it it's it it it's a. It's a long enough kind of movie. It, even the theatrical but, but cut is three the, hours. The extended cut is three hours yeah. forty. But the the performances are quite good, and I think the story is quite well told. And it 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 puts it pulls off that kind of feat of telling a story and being its own thing while also feeling like the start of of something that you're excited about, um, a conclusion to, which is a difficult thing to do um uh, in in movies like I, I i think um i think i felt watching dune for example that that it kind of um i felt like i had just kind of watched up until the kind of intermission sort of you know and 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 that there wasn't the same sense of it 
of it being a a, 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 a whole of, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With was with a very kind of clear sense of a beginning, middle, and end. I found, found um, so yeah, yeah. They, they, but but I think I think Fellowship does a very good job of that. Has to be commended for it, and it's like it set the whole world. On fire. I love how, how almost grudging you are about that. So yeah, sure, lots of people like it. So, you know, just massive no, it, sensation. Uh, just change cinema and and pop no, culture. No, I, 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 I I'm know. Not, I I'm not but... begrudging. It does like it. It doesn't. It doesn't trouble me if there's something that people kind of like that I that I. That's, that's that almost. I, I, I don't. Almost dislike. worse. How cool you are about it. <laughs> I <laughs> wish you hate. I wish you hated no, it, I, but you just like. I, I guess people are allowed to like it. It's, 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 that's the thing. Is that yeah. acceptable? <laughs> Andy, you're you're a stupid child for liking this movie. Thank you. <gasps> and you have no childish sense of wonder, Andrew. <laughs> no, none. No silly thing. <laughs> very, very C. Yeah, very Christmas C.S. Lewis. Um, yeah. But um, Tolkien's uh, yeah, Oxford. Yeah, I, I, I hate this movie. It stinks with every fiber um, of your being. Um, yeah, yeah. I thought the I thought the orcs were very evil, and Saruman was was, was me. <laughs> Sar- Saruman, um, what, where was his chill? Where was Saruman's chill? That yeah, was my I, question. I see it. Couldn't be found. Yeah, um, somewhere between <laughs> minus one and zero. Um, somewhere between minus one and minus twoth. <gasps> twoth. Oh, oh, fine. Oh, yeah, you um, have my mic. Yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> all right. So um, and for, for myself, um, <laughs> for myself, definitely. Um, this is this is an, an interesting one because, yeah, I I am very much Team Andrew on this. I don't really have a great deal of affection for these three movies, but they are phenomenal cinematic accomplishments. Um, they are movies that are important. They are movies that are influential. They are movies that are spectacularly well made. They are superb adaptations. They are moments that are snapshots in a culture. And they're just monuments to like the art of making a movie on this scale. So while I never really emotionally connected with these movies in a way that other people have, and I find... I'll go further than Andrew. I'll say I actually find that connection beautiful and moving and fantastic and, and wonderful. Um, but I, they never really connected with me personally. But I do think, yeah, I look at them and I look on them with awe. Um, so, yeah, definitely. I would perhaps cheat and I would say that since they were all filmed together primarily with the exception of pickups after the fact, you could probably count them all as one extended movie and therefore have two extra places on the list that you could give to other movies. But that's a separate conversation. It it absolutely. I mean, look, it's one twelve-hour movie. I consider them one really long movie. Like, if I if I were going to rank them among my own favorite movies, I'd be like, well, the Two Towers is my favorite. But like, if I had to pick just one, but really, it's just one very long film, so it counts as one. Yeah, it's it's like it's like a kind of like a a, um, Wagner kind of opera. (laughs) That that was the the. Somebody made that like unkind um, uh, quote about like how like, like at least like bad bad culture is getting shorter, but it, it, and uh, I'm, it, <laughs> compared to Wagner, it, it wasn't talking about Lord of the Rings. Uh, it was it was talking about something that was kind of mercifully brief. Um, but yeah, no, and I mean like Wagner's obviously a huge influence here. I do like Tolkien again being that author who refuses to give absolutely anything. He's like, well, I guess they both have a ring in it, and the ring is round. That's about as far as the similarities go. And I'm like, Tolkien, 
you can acknowledge that you maybe cribbed a little bit from Wagner in telling this story. Well, so much of it is cribbed from like uh, Norse mythology. And Norse, Norse mythology. mythology sort of stuff. Yeah. 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 I mean, well, the dwarves, I mean, Gandalf is basically Odin in his wandering form with his pointy hat and his stick and all his mischievousness and all that sort of stuff. But Grace, would this be on your own personal 250, your own 250 favorite movies? Yes, it would. I'm probably pretty high up, like maybe three. Yeah. Is that the whole set or is that Fellowship is three? No, all of them collectively okay. would be at three, I would say. Okay. I think Fellowship would probably be my second favorite of the three of them. Behind Two Towers uh, yeah. and ahead of Return of the King. But I love okay. all of them. Like, it's it's kind of hard to just pick one. You do. You could make space by having Godfather 1 and 2 as, like, the... Isn't there a cut? Isn't there a cut? <laughs> That's yeah, a let's movie. not associate Godfather 2 with Godfather 1, which is clearly the superior movie. And Godfather 3. <laughs> Throw that um, in. Well, there, there's, there's the... <laughs> yeah. There's the te- there's the HBO miniseries, which was the Godfather re-edited in chronological okay. order. That's what you're probably thinking of, Andrew. Um, it's a TV miniseries. It's like it's the opposite of this miniseries is a four hour movie. It's like no, this this. It's not TV. It's HBO. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, this this movie is a, an eight hour miniseries. <laughs> but um, and Andy, would this be on your own personal two fifty? I say, trying desperately to keep us on track. <laughs> yes. Um... It's, it's, uh, I, I mean, I talk about its cultural impact. I think it, what I really mean is that it just happened to have cultural impact. It had a lot of personal impact on me. Ah. It, it was, it was beautiful. Uh, but I must, I must say, I don't get the impression that the three movies are one long movie. It could be that the triptych was released sufficiently far apart that I was in different headspaces at, at the time. Um, they, they sort of followed my journey through my my first degree actually from from year one to year three, so it I I definitely did a lot of maturing in that time and perhaps my views on them were different. But um, I was much more of a baby when I watched this one. Well, I mean, like again, we we should like to, to put this in context. It depends who you ask what the deal is. So like Jackson will say that the the skeletons of the movies were all in place from that like nineteen ninety nine two thousand block. Um, however, Viggo Mortensen, who very much seems to be the man putting the biggest distance between him and the trilogy, is basically said that, no, the reshoots were basically filming the movies again. That is Mortensen's argument. Mortensen has basically said, like, if Fellowship had tanked, the other two movies would have gone straight to video and they would have been disasters because they would not have used the footage that was reshot. Um, and I think to give Andy, to, to like, for all my joking there about it being one long movie, I think to give Andy's argument some credit, I think you can see whether in post-production, whether in the edit, whether in the reshoots, that The Two Towers responds very much to the success of Fellowship of the Ring, to the point where the opening scene of The Two Towers is, let's do the mimetic moment from Fellowship of the Rings again and louder. Um, And then you look at, say, the opening... Very loud, apologies. And then you look at the opening sequence of, um, like, The Return of the King, and it's like, let's take the breakout character from The Two Towers, the movie that we saw and have tested, and let's give him his own backstory. So, like, the, at the very least, the edits... <laughs> the, the Fonzie of the truth. <laughs> but, like... But it's it's very much like it's very much it's very responsive. Like the the edit at least of the movies is different. So I I I, I do accept that your argument. Like I I'm not going to dismiss it out of hand. Dear D, what about yourself? Would it would it be on your own personal two fifty? Your own two hundred fifty favorite movies? Yeah, and I would probably have the first three like in or around my top ten. Um, 
I love them all. And yeah, I, I, I'd agree with Andy in that I'd consider them three separate entities. I think when you're talking about one individually, you kind of almost put them all together in your mind. But I think when you watch the three, they're actually three very kind of separate entities and they're all trying to do very different things. And there's very different like themes and kind of character focuses going on and stuff. So I would I would consider them very separate. And particularly, I think there is a big distinction between one and two, maybe two and three kind of melds into each other a bit more so. But I would definitely consider one and two very separate type of movies. Um, and I love them. Yeah, I love all three. I'd go one, two, three. Actually, they would be that would be my preference. <laughs> that <would> be order. <laughs> and Andrew, what about yourself? Would this be on your own personal 250? No, it, it, it wouldn't. It, it, like it's a it's 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 a very well accomplished movie. And it, it, it's it's good as well. That's the kind of like I, I, I don't know how you felt kind of watching it, but I I, I sort of like uh, I sort of enjoyed it. I like. I, 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 I didn't have any. I sort of enjoyed it. That's the pull quote. We can put that on the DVD cover. I, I, um, as I was saying it, I was like, "Kind of did I? <laughs> did I really? How much do I want to commit to this?" Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, what about yourself, Darren? Okay, well, look. You you said as you watch this, so I should explain how I watch this because I. Not a huge fan of these movies, haven't really rewatched them that much over the past couple of years, wanted to completely refresh my memory. So I watched the entire extended edition of all six Peter Jackson. Of course you did. <laughs> oh no, it gets it gets better. Did you just say all six All, all six of his Middle Earth films. All six so the three Fellowship and the Three in the past in, week. Then not not in chronological order. No, in, in, in production in order. Because I wanted to see how he progressed yeah, okay. or devolved, evolved or devolved as a filmmaker. Then, so I wanted to put Fellowship in context, right? So that's what I did first. Then, because I wanted to be a professional, I said I'll watch the theatrical cut of Fellowship of the Ring. So I watched the theatrical cut of Fellowship of the Ring. Then I was like, huh, but I want to make sure I have an informed perspective when we're talking about it. So then I watched the extended cut of Fellowship of the Ring again. To bring it all full circle. So that is my preparation for this podcast. It's I have like, tried to meet... Now, I've watched the extended cut. I've watched the theatrical cut. Oh, my but goodness. But I haven't watched the extended cut. <laughs> I've, I've watched the extended cut, <laughs> five other extended cuts, the, and the me, theatrical cut. I feel like... Let me make that joke in community where he's like, okay, I think we should watch the, the original cut of The Dark Knight. <laughs> Then the Dark Knight Extended Edition, <laughs> then the Extended Edition with the commentary, <laughs> and then the original cut to yeah, cool they, off. They, they do yeah. a version of that on review, where he's like, I've, I've tried all drugs and I haven't got addicted. I've tried cocaine, I've tried marijuana, <laughs> I've tried pills, but I haven't tried cocaine. <laughs> and then he like, goes back and then <laughs> all the cocaine. <laughs> Okay, but my point is I very much tried to meet the Lord of the Rings. Like, I tried to, like, embrace it and, like, gorge myself on it and try to see if... I feel like you got too deep, man. <laughs> you went too deep. But I was trying to see if there was something that I missed, if I like, if there was a connection to it that, like, I just hadn't awakened. It has, it has a hold on you. <laughs> <laughs> my precious. But, um... Step away from the movie. Can you show us your bare chest, please? We want to make sure... I don't want, I don't want you wearing the DVD around your neck. And, Andrew, could I just watch the, the theatrical cut just, just one more time? Um, you must not. Just, <laughs> you are no conjurer of tri cheap tricks, Andrew, unfortunately. But okay, so yeah, I tried to give it the... I tried to give The Lord of the Rings a fair shot, as fair a shot as I could. And my response to it is largely... Eh. 
I like it. It's 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 solid. It's it's a well made film. The fact that it's a movie means that you will watch it five times. <laughs> like you won't give everything this chance. That's true. Like you won't you won't like try every type of coffee and every type of alcoholic beverage. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it does have a certain starting yeah. advantage by virtue of being something that was placed in front of a camera. <laughs> yes, you are right, Andrew. Um, but no, like I, I, I tried to give it a fair, fair shake is my argument. And it just, it never quite, didn't quite connect with me. So no, it would not be on my own personal 250. I, I admire it. It just doesn't click with me. I think there are two great films among the six movies in the Middle Earth saga, but we'll talk about them next year. <laughs> and depending on whether or not I convince Andrew to watch the Hobbit trilogy and the King Kong trilogy in either four or five years from now. I don't think I mentioned King Kong, <laughs> but if, it, if, it's, <laughs> if it's like a logical corollary of the insane like suggestion that I myself made... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I, I need um, you to elucidate on, on this now, Darren. Please. Are, are you implying that one of the Hobbit movies is is a great movie? Well, I'm afraid you're just going to have to listen to the next five years of the podcast to find out the answer to that one, Andy. Grace. Oh, no. If dear D is wincing, we can see D <laughs> wincing in the podcast window. <sighs> Fine. But I'm going to call my bluff on that. Desolation of Smaug is great. I really love the Desolation of Smaug. So, Benedict uh, Cumberbatch is like a dragon. Uh, a dragon and Sauron. It's it's it's, it's basically Peter Jackson doing a, like a, an old-fashioned movie serial. It doesn't even have an ending. It's amazing. Anyway, Grace, <laughs> um, if listeners have not seen Fellowship of the Ring, would you recommend that they pause the podcast and stream it? And would you recommend watching either the theatrical or the extended cut of it. Well, yes, obviously they should watch it. And how they've managed to go through life not watching it so far is a dark mystery that should be studied. Unless they're literally like five years old. Um, probably go with the extended edition because the theatrical edition is fine. But once you watch the extended edition, then whenever you watch the theatrical edition, all you're going to notice is the stuff that's not in it. So you should get all of the goodies at once, I say. Go and gorge yourself. Like a hobbit. And Andy... What about yourself? Would you recommend if listeners have not seen The Fellowship of the Ring, should they watch it? And which version of it should they watch? Yeah, pause the podcast now, go and stream it. Um, for, for this, I, I don't know if it was my, my copy of the DVD or the person whose house I watched it at, um, but DVDs just don't have the same quality <laughs> that they used to. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm sorry. We need we need to pause this and and buy it on Amazon in, in HD. You've, you've, you've been you've been wearing it around your neck. That that, that it's bad for the disc. Yeah, apparently. Um, um no, def, definitely going to stream it. Um, and I I would say watch the theatrical cut because and to to, to bring it back to your your <laughs> deep dive into the um the Jackson verse. Mooney, um, I may have lost touch with reality during can, that deep you can, dive. You can go too deep. Like I, I have a deep fondness for these three films, and I've never managed to watch all three in a single viewing. And I don't ever want to try again. And if I watched all of the films as you did, <laughs> followed by the one film again, followed by the extended cut of that film, I would hate them. <laughs> I wouldn't just be indifferent. I would hate them. So don't don't have too much of a good thing. Just go and be like, watch this theatrical cut and be like, wow, 
that that is a that is a quality movie. Easy to get out of the Jackson verse. Um, I don't I don't care how much of a thriller you 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 think they are. You, you need to beat it. Thank, um, thank, thank we you. We want you back, Darren. <laughs> that, thank you, Andrew. I miss I miss the old functional Darren. <laughs> um, and and Dee, what about yourself? Would you recommend listeners watch Fellowship of the Ring? And which edition would you recommend that they watch? Um, yeah, I definitely second Andy in two regards. Um, firstly, don't watch them the way Darren watched them because that's madness. That's madness. <laughs> that, 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 madness. That, that will leave you thinking that one of the Hobbit movies is good. Oh my um, God. That's how much it will mess with your this brain. This kind of reminds me of, oh, I was listening to Darren talking about watching like all the Halloween movies and I've only seen the first and then there was some random one in the middle. You were like, that's the masterpiece. And I'm like, what are you on about? I haven't even seen them all. And I'm like, this is nuts. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> something happens to Darren when he watches too many movies in a row, I think. Was he was he peeing in a jar at the time of saying like this one? This is the good one. So, um, Saw six, the one about Obamacare. That's the masterpiece. It is actually Saw six is about Obamacare, and it is the masterpiece of the Saw franchise. I digress. In any case, um, and then I also second that. Um, I think the theatrical cut is better. I was going to get into this kind of in the spoiler zone, but it's it's going to be another hour till we get into that. And in any case, <laughs> nothing I have to say will like ruin, it doesn't have any spoilers in it anyway. But like, I'd agree that the theatrical, uh, sorry, the extended edition, once you've gotten so familiar with the theatrical cut, um, those scenes do stick out like a sore thumb. I even like noticed this time around watching the extended edition that the actual like title the fellowship of the ring was in the wrong place and it bothered me (laughs) so much but you know what it is like i know that the approach would be like oh surely more lord of the rings can only be a good thing but you can absolutely see why those scenes were cut they actually weren't needed and i think that overall what happens is in the extended edition that they're major pacing issues now you could say if you're a fan of Tolkien it's definitely more in keeping with his works that way because they are slow apparently again haven't read the book so can't really tell but that's my understanding anyway um I just think the extended edition kind of stalls the action and the story a bit so I still prefer the theatrical cut but yeah I definitely have to swap in my dvds for the 4k version because watching that version on Sunday I was like yeah my dvds are not as good as it well, I mean, and, and again, like, it, it's amazing. One of the things about Jackson is he did go back and he did restore it for 4K, but he has avoided doing, like, the George Lucas on it. So, like, after he's made The Hobbit, like, he still puts Ian Holm in a questionable wig for the flashback sequences in Lord of the Rings. He doesn't try and, and edit in um, the Martin Freeman uh, character or anything like that. He doesn't, he hasn't updated any of the CGI. He hasn't, tink- like, I find that integrity fascinating. That he's like, he will restore it beautifully and carefully. I think people point out that he removed a lot of the digital, like, greenish bluish tint that was on Fellowship for the 4K. But I admire that Jackson hasn't, like, gone back and gone full Lucas on the kind of project, which I think is, is commendable. And Andrew. Ma- Matrix, like, green tint. <laughs> <laughs> But it was it was just shortly after 1999, um, so they yeah. were like, "Yeah, we're just gonna gotta get in there while <laughs> while that's happening." Um, but Andrew, what about yourself? Would you recommend listening yeah. to Watch Fellowship? Yeah, and like which version uh, of the one that you have watched? Well, I I I I I think I imagine I probably I'm I'm almost certain it is the three hour one, which is is the, that is somehow not the extended one. <laughs> no, that right? is the theatrical cut. <laughs> right? Okay, I, I recommend people watch that because like the pace felt good. It was kind of, it felt like the right amount of sort of 
um, uh, exposition, the um, introduction of characters kind of like felt like it all kind of came at about the same time to kind of get things going. There was enough kind of um, uh, building up of the bodies and then enough kind of introduction one by one. Um, so it felt um, it felt like it worked very, 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 very well kind of um, uh, structurally. So um, n- now I haven't seen, so I can't compare to the extended version. Um, but but the, 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 this this pulled off the um, the uh, kind of the, the achievement of being a reasonably fast three hour movie. It covers a lot of ground, both like literally and kind of like narratively. Yeah, exactly. And and that that if it, it, it to 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 watch an extended version might 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 mess with that achievement. But if you re, if you like, I think I think if 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 I'm going to recommend it to people, it's going to maybe it's going to perhaps be to people who might enjoy these sorts of um, things anyway. Like I, I I think I enjoy fantasy a lot more than I used to. I think Dar- Darren and I were kind of. Um, uh, Star Trek kids, sci-fi nerds. Yeah, yeah, and they, 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 and that we don't relate as 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 much to Star Wars, kind of um, as uh, and 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 that that's maybe kind of um, got something to do with that. I don't know. Yeah, I'm but, kind of um, where you are on Star Wars on this, which is interesting. Like I I I'm gen- I'm less keen on Star Wars than I than a lot of people are, but like I'm I'm your level of cool on Star Wars on this, if that makes sense. Right. And what about yourself? Or would you would you recommend people watch it? Would you recommend that people watching um, stop the podcast, <laughs> wait a year, no wait wait six years, watch each like pre spoiler zone, yeah, and and listen section. to each episode as we listen do them. to each, yeah, and then watch like binge it all, six watch, movies, yeah, watch it all over the course of a weekend, and then come back and listen to us. I, I I would recommend watching the movies. Um, I think they watch really, really well together. Um, I would actually, and again, this is one of the interesting things, one of the discussions we've had about movies is the idea that, like, if you if you dislike a movie, the shorter version is always better. I don't, like, I don't dislike Fellowship of the Rings, but I do think the extended version is richer. Like, if I'm sticking them on, which I have done maybe once in the past decade, I will stick on the extended edition because I think there's more substance there i i get what d says i agree with what d says where you can see why all the stuff was cut all the stuff was cut because it slowed down the pacing of the movie it didn't have the tight narrative focus but i think say aragorn becomes a completely different character in the extended version of this movie i would argue i think boromir becomes a much richer character in the extended version of this and i think that those two elements pay off in a big way in the climax so I think if you were going to watch one of these versions, I would suggest maybe watching the extended, particularly if you're only going to do it once. Um, if you're going to do it twice, do it whatever way you want. Um, maybe maybe ease yourself in with the theatrical and then kind of like when you're ready to fully immerse yourself, watch the extended. Um, I will say that exactly uh, what I think um, what Dee and Grace mentioned, like when I watched the theatrical cut, I had a weird feeling of, isn't there supposed to be another scene here? Like when I was, it's like, it's my memory tricking me. Am I just combining the Hobbit movies with this at this point? Um, so that's why I ended up rewatching the extended edition and Andy is shaking his heads. With that in mind, then we will segue neatly into the spoiler zone. Spoiler zone! 
Whoa! So, Dee, what is Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Rings about for you? It's about a lot of things. Um, it's about innocence lost, which I know, again, this is kind of a common enough theme in movies, but I love the way that it deals with it in this particular film. Um, obviously, it kind of starts, I think, in this movie, I would argue, with the death of Gandalf. I think that that's a huge moment of innocence lost in this movie. And then you get it more and more as you progress through the trilogy. It's also about adventure and about magic and um, escaping to this like really like fantastical world, even though there is darkness and evil and war there too. Um, And it's also about how people are the worst. I mean, Baromir is the very embodiment of how (laughs) humans are so easily tempted and corrupted. Um, But you can't help but love them, can you? um, But I love love Baromir as a character. But it's funny that you mentioned Darren. Um, And I don't know if this was exactly the kicking point that you wanted, but I slightly disagreed with what you were saying before um, about Baromir being a richer character necessarily in the extended cut. Because I actually think there's a less sympathetic portrayal of Baromir. Um, So I'm thinking, for example, in the scene where he meets Aragorn, in the extended cut, it's a bit longer and he just comes across as very seedy as opposed to just <laughs> uncertain about um, Aragorn. And then you also have the meeting scene where he like goes towards the w- ring and Gandalf, Gandalf brings out his dark voice and he's like, keep away from that. I mean, there are so many more bits of like Baromir going for the ring in the extended edition. It starts to look a bit silly. And then even like there are kind of little nuanced scenes. Like, for example, there's this scene where Baromir is training with Merry and Pippin on like this hilltop, right? And they're having like a sword fight. And in the original cut, it ends with um, the three of them kind of in a pile, kind of play wrestling each other. And I think that that's a beautiful setup for that final scene where he's literally defending them to his death. In the extended edition, I found this really weird. Aragorn actually cuts in and he kind of ends up in the pile with the two hobbits. So I think that the extended edition is more Aragorn is the good guy. Boromir is bad. Whereas um, I actually think the original cut is a little more nuanced. But I will also say that I think that Boromir Mm. um, and Sean Bean's performance, which I think is incredible, it definitely gets a lot more kudos in Two Towers, where we get to see the setup of, um, you know, his uh, relationship with Faramir exactly through all the flashbacks. But um, no, I didn't think I I thought I preferred the cut of I preferred the theatrical cut in relation to the extended cut anyway, with the setup of his character. That would just be my little argument there. Yeah, the 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 line by um, um, Galabriel or how would, how, Galadriel. How would Gal- Galadriel. Galadriel. Sorry. All the fans right um, now are going, oh, Gabrielle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All the fans. I I'm really sorry. <laughs> Of um, when she is saying, "I think you know the one." <laughs> like, <laughs> you know which one I'm talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, the, to the point, to the point where, like in the extended edition, they'd be like, "Why is he here?" <laughs> you know, it's like it's like when you have a mole, you know, <laughs> everybody knows who it is, and it's like, "Why are we telling them all our secrets?" You know, um, it's kind of like that. Let let's let, let's parse. <laughs> this guy and and but but uh, I I I do appreciate more that the 
that scene with the uh, uh, like like D said with I think it is it uh, is it Sam and Pippin and and Mary where they where they're them? fighting with swords and stuff and where yes yeah, Pippi yeah. Pip and Mary well, it's also that they like the bit where like after they get out of the mines it's Boromir who says give them a moment for pity's sake and Aragorn's the one who's like mm. Beck we gotta move um and that's a real that's again a little moment of humanity from Boromir this I guess this is the thing with me if if I were to put a finger on why I. I'm probably not a big Lord of the Rings fan, is that so much of it is relentlessly black and white and good and evil and absolute and very... There are good guys and there are bad guys. And the good guys are the guys who, when you offer them the ring, will go, well, I would go insane if I held the ring. Frodo, you should take care of the ring. And the bad... So, like, you know, when Gandalf is like, no, I would try to use it for good and it would corrupt me. Or Gadriel, who's like, I would turn into this weird fury with, like, cool armor and, like, backlighting on me. And it would... Everyone would love me and it would be monstrous. Um, You know, sort of moments like that. Or Aragorn, even, who's like, I cannot take that. Whereas... And then on the other hand, you have, like, the characters who are tempted by it. Um, and here, that's, like, Boromir, who is, as as Dee pointed out, is very much the guy at the club who's like, hey, hey, hey. Like, even the sequence where he's, like, gathering wood in the forest, where Frodo's gathering wood, and Boromir is kind of, like, wandering away. I don't even want the ring. It's ugly. Yeah, trying to, trying, to the ring. Ring. trying to neg the ring. He's trying to neg the ring. But like, and you have like Gollum, obviously, who is like so physically deformed by his like both temptation for and hatred of the ring and who ends up, you know, now we're in the spoiler zone, being destroyed and consumed by it. And I think like, not to jump too far ahead, but I think like why The Two Towers for me is the best of the movies is because the changes that that makes to Tolkien's text with Faramir, where Faramir actually is seriously tempted by the ring for most of the movie and at the end goes you know what actually i've thought about this i was tempted by it you should probably go do your business frodo you do you be you i've thought about this and made a decision and i think that i find myself kind of put off by the absolutism of like and even like things like again it's it's the standard fantasy stuff where it's like the elves are pure and white and light and backlit and blonde haired and kind of like pointy ears. And the orcs are these monstrous things that are reaped from the ground and murder things as they wake up. And they're like tainted. What is it? They're befouled and tormented. And um, what, what, how does, what does Saruman describe them as? Like Mark? Saruman says, whoa, whoa, here they come. <laughs> Watch out for they'll tear you up. The, the man flesh, yes. Yeah, you shall taste man. But like, I, I find myself, like, am I... Okay, so like, as D Andy Grace, um, and I realise I'm putting you guys on the spot, am I being unfair to Lord of the Rings that I'm like, this is, this is all a bit much for me? I mean, I think what you're describing with regards to the whole evil-good dichotomy, isn't that a fairly standard trope in fantasy anyway? Like, I'm just thinking of the movie franchises that have kind of really resonated with people like Star Wars, very clear delineation of good and evil, Harry Potter as well, uh, just to think of the two most immediate examples that come to my head. So I get what you mean in the first place, but also we as humans are simple. We like the idea that the world is uncomplicated and that good will win and evil will fall. Um, But I I would also argue that I think that there's a little more nuance in Lord of the Rings compared to um, other fantasy franchises with regards to kind of the development of the characters. And if you follow like each of their 
kind of storylines. And again, it's kind of hard because we are trying to hone in on the first movie here. So it's kind of hard to talk about the trilogy overall. But you look at a character like Frodo, um, the progression of his character from one to three is quite kind of extraordinary in that way. They they all kind of really experience great growth, particularly those um, Hobbit characters who are really meant to symbolize, you know, childhood and innocence, innocence yeah. and stuff like that. Um, so I think it's a little unfair. Um, and whatever it is about Lord of the Rings over those other franchises, it did just capture me more than those and just emotionally resonated with, with me more. Um, and yeah, as well, I would say that like, you know, the fellowship of the ring kind of ended up like mirroring back like my friendships and that it's it's been something I largely associate with you know watching with friends and us all just enjoying them and kind of laughing at them all together laughing at them more even than ever now that they've been so memeified over the internet so yeah that's lovely one does not simply meme lord of the rings <laughs> <laughs> but um Andy, like you, you seem to be the kind of Tolkien expert of, of the set of us. And I mean, you call, you took me to task earlier for my unfair characterization of Tolkien's uh, prose. Will you take me to task for my unfair representation of Tolkien's uh, views on good and evil? Am I being unreasonable? Nah, um, I think you have to draw a line between Tolkien and Peter Jackson. Because um, as I have to say, as a young and not very critical reader it the books to me were never about like this vast huge like almost you know continent-sized story of of like sweeping sweeping shots of new zealand tourism armies (laughs) going into battle and stuff like and you know constantly having like mount doom in 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 the background of every shot um it's they're much they're very much focused on on character and being in the place that you are like to that's why the the you know the the scene the the description all the non-narrative parts of the book are so overwritten because he's very much there in the in the spot where you are it's each chapter isn't focused on how it connects to the other chapters and the this huge story that's happening it's about what the people are going to do in that one scene in particular and i don't it doesn't shove the good versus evil down your throat in the same way that they had to for making the making the movies um so i i would say that in its defense but yeah i Spoiled. Spoiled was the word I was looking for with Sauron and the Orcs. He's like, I want the Hobbits brought to me unspoiled. And I was like, that is a very interesting choice of words, Sauron. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Unmolested. You horny Orcs, leave them alone. (laughs) Untagged. Yeah. (laughs) By the way, Lertz is the 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 name of the the Orc. Um, The Urukai. Uh, yes. Um, More like Uruk, yay, am I right? Anyway, um, but Grace, what about yourself in terms of that, that treatment of the like the, the morality of Lord of the Rings? Like is is its appeal that it is that straightforward, or am I being reductive uh, in terms of the, the trilogy? And what is it about? What is the what is the appeal of it for you? I mean, you're you're probably taking it a bit seriously, I think. I think there's this horrible tendency at the moment to get very, very 
intensely like granular when we look at a lot of films or books or other pieces of art um, and be like, oh, why is it this way? Or why is it this way? Or is it like an allegory for this? Or what does this say about that? And, you know, sometimes it's okay for things to just be like an escapist, simple fantasy, kind of like what Dee was saying about, we like the idea that there's a simple, straightforward, good versus evil dichotomy. Yeah. And that the bad guys are like obviously bad because they're running around like terrorizing villages with swords. <laughs> um, although, of course, there are people in the world who do that. So, but we're not allowed to call them bad guys for whatever reason. I'm referring to Americans here, lest anyone think I'm, a, you know, going off on a tangent. But um, yeah, I think I think the appeal for people probably is just that there's there is a simplistic element to it in that, you know, there's an obvious bad guy and the heroes kind of are very plucky and noble and always stand up for what's right. And there isn't like a load of arguing going on on Twitter over who's problematic or not. And thank God these movies were made before Twitter existed. So I think that would be my take on it. It's just, it's escapist. It's easy to watch. You know who's good, you know who's bad, you know who you're rooting for. And sometimes people just like that. I think they like the simplicity of it because real life is not that simple. Yeah, because I think these days kind of in in fantasy Certainly in, in like Dungeons and Dragons and, and Andy will know more about this than I will, that, that there's a tendency to kind of um, move away from the fantasy sort of stereotypes. Of particular races, so the idea of orcs of, being evil yeah, and, yeah. and stuff like that. Or... So introduce an orc um, to be well, like a, a friendly NPC. No, no, it, uh, it's, a, it's an ongoing uh, question mark above like orc. <laughs> society how if you have a if you have a, a race that is 100 percent always chaotic evil how do they get anything done where do their where do their hats and shoes come well, they, from they 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 um they're subservient right this is the, the this the, is the are there klingon lawyers question from star trek basically what about the klingon shopkeepers there are Kling, Kling no there are lawyers. yeah we Play, saw them in star, Dorn, yes, Dorn in star trek 6 in... What? <laughs> um yes andrew and i are star trek boys um but like, no, and I think I think that's kind of interesting. Cause I'm laughing at we, us. Yeah, to be clear. Um, but like, and again, it's it's worth noting that like this debate was happening as the films were coming out. Like, for example, you had um, Viggo Mortensen going on Charlie Rose promoting the two towers, wearing like a no blood for oil shirt, and talking about how upset he was that like the far right in America was co opting the narrative of Lord of the Rings as like a we are mm. going to the Middle East and we're going to win the battle against evil. On the other hand, you also had John Rhys Davies, who is a recurring character on this podcast going on interviews and saying that uh, there are things that people need to know about the battle for civilization in Western Europe and you're like please turn off his mic turn off his mic now I want to be able to enjoy Gimli as a character yeah he went a bit off the deep end didn't he oh god he did. John Reese davies I'm so glad I haven't I haven't seen any of um, that or even heard about it. It'll be in the show notes. Don't worry. I'm not going to make a statement like that without backing it up. Um, Mr. Mr. Davies has this very litigious. Um, but like... He <laughs> was just on um, uh, talking with like Jerry O'Connell about the new <laughs> season of Slag. And then just casually eased <laughs> into... Like... <laughs> The decline of civilization in Western Europe, uh, and, yeah. but like, and but uh, this, I'm interested. In it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very excited about what Slider season five offers. Well, I mean, 
this is this is kind of like and again I, I wonder if this is a thing that I'm kind of connecting to but like there's this interesting because D mentioned nostalgia I think back when we were first discussing like Lord of the Rings what it was about what the connection to it was and one of the things I find really interesting about it is the idea like even in Fellowship of the Ring like you have this idea before Sauron and the Ring show up you have this idea Middle Earth is basically already done for there is there is nothing really here that is going to survive no matter the outcome of the war of the ring like if you watch the extended cut early in the movie frodo notices the elves moving through the woods on their way out of middle earth the elves have already begun migrating the dwarves uh, are living in mines that are tombs by the start of this the the line of man is is broken uh, and it's it's basically decrepit and middle earth is basically already lost by the way but we we spoke sorry do we um i mean we can come back to it i guess but we spoke about the loss of innocence the the, the most tragic thing to me was was the death of gimli's cousin balin and all of the the other dwarves in the i don't know is it because i, I, I played a um dwarf character for so long but i really felt and <laughs> maybe it was john reese davis's uh, performance the uh, it, it. It, like like because they, they're kind of like okay all right let's move on <laughs> it's that. only a three hour movie not a three and a half hour movie but it, it keeps on kind of coming back to us um and i've just found it very moving because then and there, there there was something kind of um yeah um really affecting about that that, that um, feeds into the whole um that like like darren's talking about the the death of yeah. middle earth and the the in, increasing sort of distancing between the races because those those dwarves have been dead for a while and not and not, nobody noticed no, no one no one had been down there for for ages it, and that that's like that's actually a very subtle piece of world building for all the um <laughs> You know, for all the overwrittenness, it's like, oh no, this this huge thing happened off screen, and we're just now learning about it because no yeah. one really. And I, I think like that's that's kind of something that you tie to Tolkien as a he's a very Christian writer again, much like C.S. Lewis, who would have been part of the same community, um, and like his his belief in the idea of the fall of man. Like Tolkien is basically like he's written at length about how um, was it according to his biographer Carpenter uh, when he was in a mood he had a deep sense of impending loss nothing was safe nothing would last no battle would be won forever history is a story of decline not of progress and I find it interesting when you watch the Lord of the Rings that like as much as this is a somewhat triumphant narrative about good versus evil I find it interesting that looming in the background is the idea that. Even if Sauron wins the War of the Rings, this this is probably going to fade into history anyway. Nobody's going to remember it. No, it's like it opens with that line, everything has changed. And this is a time when the world was young and nobody remembers it. And I find something kind of wistful in that. I find something fascinating about how for all this is epic and, and kind of like, you know, mythic and, and kind of grand and, and kind of sweeping that like Tolkien's big takeaway is... But yeah, no, nobody really cares. It will all, everybody dies, everything fades away and nothing really matters in the grand scheme of things, which is an interesting tension in the work, I think, perhaps. And there's there's a real insensitivity, I think, in, in, in um, a lot of the characters too. <laughs> when, when they arrive um, at, at like Celeborn, 
the the fella from from the Equalizer, <laughs> um, um, yeah, the New New Zealand actor. Um, um, he's like there were there were meant to be six of you, but there were five of you. <laughs> Where is Gandalf? I would <laughs> talk. To, yeah, I would talk to him. Indelicate about it. Where is Gandalf? Is he dead? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. um, picking up on what you were saying, Andrew, about um, Gimli's mourning. There, I think that possibly maybe one of the things that also kind of resonates with you is the fact that he's the only dwarf in the Fellowship. And he's the only dwarf that you see across the Lord of the Rings movies. Obviously, there are quite a few more in The Hobbit. But nobody cares about those movies. Lord of the... <laughs> no, who cares about them? Um, except your one played by Aidan Turner, because he's a cutie. But, um, uh, but sorry, I lost my train of thought there. Oh, but aside from seeing those, isn't there three of them who come to that meeting, you know, before yeah. they form the fellowship? But there's a real sense that there aren't many of them left by by way of the fact that like Gimli is the only one there kind of representing them. And even there's the kind of funny fact that they're all men. Um, so like there are no women to reproduce, even though in the two towers it is mentioned that the women also have beards. So maybe there was a woman there. <laughs> so I just find that kind of funny. But um, also, but to add to the point of the whole idea of like the fading of Middle Earth and men dying and stuff like that, I think that in that way it's really important to have the Shire be your kind of opening sequence because the whole idea of the Shire and Hobbiton generally um, and I know it's been written about how it's kind of based on you know the English countryside and idyllism and stuff like that um, that kind of rural community it establishes like this place that is untouched um, again bringing in that kind of theme of innocence and stuff and this is what they're fighting to protect is those last kind of little corners of the earth in a way, it's kind of almost like a post-apocalyptic movie, like something like, you know, Mad Max or Waterworld, you know, when they're trying to get to that last protected place at the end of the world. Um, it kind of reminds me of that a little in that regard. But I also think that it's kind of nice that, is it the scourging or the sh- scouring or whatever? Scouring, yeah, the scouring. Yeah, I kind of like that. I know that that was in the books and it's quite a big part in the books and I know that they even filmed some of that and that's what makes its way into Galadriel when she shows Frodo the the Vision but I actually think it makes more sense in terms of where the film goes in terms of story that it doesn't go that way and that they go back and it is kind of they have managed to preserve it because again we want that good and evil you know we want the good to win Um, but they have totally changed by the end by the time they go back um, but yeah, and uh, it, also in the extended editions, they they also spend a lot more time in Hobbiton and contextualizing <laughs> the Hobbits and stuff like that. A lot of Bilbo concerning voiceover. Hobbits, like the, yeah, like the chapter is literally concerning Hobbits. Um, mm-hmm. the, the 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 kind of point about the um, the beauty of the Shire and the kind of decline of Middle Earth it reminded me a lot of Princess Mononoke, yeah, except in a much less kind of allegorical manner, like that 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 it. That it, it that it's kind of the vagueness accommodates more readings, which is why kind of you have like Viggo Mortensen complaining about the right co-opting the story and that. But maybe maybe it's not a story that 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 can be owned by, by anybody. Kind of one group. Yeah. I mean, whereas Princess Mononoke is much more kind of straightforwardly kind of environmentalist and. Um, I mean, I. I... 
maybe feminist in some way. Well, I, I actually, that's something to put a pin in and come back to in a second. Because, I mean, like, I just went, while we're talking about the Shire, like, something I find fascinating about Tolkien is that he is, like, he was an expert in cultures around the world. He, he like, he, he knew Old Norse. He invented languages for this. He knew all about mythologies. Like, his, his the famous story is that he wanted, like, Lord of the Rings to be a mythology for England, uh, which is kind of amazing when you think they already have King Arthur. And he's like, no, 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 I, I got something better. Um, but like I do like he he never went anywhere. He never left the UK. Um, he never once visited Scandinavia. He hated France. And not only because he hated French food, in the words of his biographer Humphrey Carpenter, the Norman invasion of England in 1066 pained Tolkien as much as if it had happened in his own lifetime. <laughs> and I find when we talk about like The Hobbit, we talk about Fellowship of the Rings, we talk about this idea like in both trilogies of hobbits leaving the shire going out into the world and having big adventures carpenter has come back to this idea repeatedly about tolkien being shaped by the journey that he did not take when he was a child um his his father took ill uh, and made plans to return to visit the family and tolkien dictated uh, i think he was like 10 or 11 at the time dictated a letter through his nurse dear daddy I am so glad I am coming back to see you. It is such a long time since we came away from you. I hope the ship will bring us all back to you, Mammy and Baby and me. And word came that his father had died before that letter was even sent. And it's hard, again, much like it's it's hard to read Tolkien's letter to his sons uh, during the Second World War and not think of Sam telling Frodo, all stories seem great when we're in them. Um, here it's hard not to read that and think of the end of the trilogy where Frodo and Bilbo having done their duty sail off towards some green land a fair green country under a swift sunrise Um, and I just kind of find that that kind of really really sweet but yeah one of the big changes that this is something Andrew says one of the big change what Andrew said there one of the big changes that like that Jackson makes is the treatment of female characters here actually because it's been noted that maybe Tolkien doesn't necessarily give his female characters that much to do. <laughs> and one of the big changes here is to give um, Arwen, the character played by Liv Tyler, I may be mispronouncing that, um, like she gets a big action sequence here that she doesn't get in the books. And Gadrielle becomes a much more central character. I believe she was the first character that was cast um, as Kate Blanchett. I, I, I think it's, um, you know... It's just PC politics, <laughs> really, isn't it? <laughs> um, I, I, I think the, the, this, this film and and the story always was about how great it is to be white and male, and and how and how we're going to save the world, and we we don't we don't need anyone of. <laughs> we put on our cloaks and ride around on horses, and yeah, yeah, it's. I, I think What's that, complicated you know, about that? It's, it's just ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I obviously joke. <laughs> I like that you feel the need um, to add that. I, I think just in case it's the internet, Darren. Just in case. Yeah. Okay, but like, like so Jackson, I, I I... Jackson co-wrote these movies uh, with his partner, his long-term partner, Fran Walsh, and Philippa Boyens, who's a big Tolkien scholar. And both Walsh and, and Boyens and Jackson have all talked about the importance of kind of bulking that material up and I, I think it I think it does I think it, it adds a lot to the movies I mean it does 
in some ways. I, they're probably a bit more successful doing it with Eowyn than they are with Arwen, to be honest, because like Arwen gets her big action sequence, which is great, and then they turn her into a mopey dunce for the whole rest of the trilogy. Like the end, and I know we're not talking about Return of the King here, but when we were watching it again on Saturday, I just remember turning to my sister at that part where like Elrond rocks up with Anduril and he's like, Arwen is dying and she won't survive this. And I'm like, mate, no one will survive this. Isn't that the point we've been trying to make this whole time? Like, why is she being an extra? Come on. Like, that just seems so needless to me. Um, but I do think um, Galadriel has great presence, although I don't know how much of that is down to the writing as opposed to just Kate Blanchett. But I did always love the way that they portrayed Eowyn. They gave her a nice mixture of earnestness, but also gravitas, I think. Um, that is, I mean, some of that is in the book, in fairness, but I think they definitely beefed it up for the um, movie. And they cast her a little bit, emphasis on a little bit older as well, which probably uh, adds to that. But that's not actually relevant to Fellowship. And and again, like it, we, we mentioned kind of the cast here, like again, and I think uh, Dee mentioned, like the cast here is pretty much perfect. It's almost impossible to imagine. As in like perfectly beautiful. <laughs> yes, they're hot. <laughs> They, they are hot. We'll come back to that in a second. They are really, really they are hot. so hot. But, like, I mean, I think it, what's amazing about this is the fact that almost none of them were the first choice. Um, Elijah Wood is, is basically the, the one person who managed to, like, get the role that he wanted when he wanted it. He was a big fan of the book, and he filmed, like, on v, VHS, like, dressed up as a hobbit, reading from the book. And that got him the part, which is adorable. But basically, how Ian McKellen came to be cast, which is amazing, is that they wanted Patrick Stewart... And Patrick Stewart, who is best friends with Ian McKellen, was like, Ian, will you come in and do the, do a reading with me um, so I can impress on them how great I will be as Gandalf? And apparently the impression that they had from that sequence was, yeah, we found our Gandalf. Ian McKellen, you're Gandalf. Um, sorry, Patrick. Um, and like the, the, the famous story about like the casting of Aragorn is that like they had Stuart Townsend. Um, who managed to like get himself fired just before filming started um, to the point where like apparently everybody was and wondering his career kind of completely disappeared <laughs> after that I kind of feel bad yeah. uh, but it's, it's great because they ne they didn't tell anybody like nobody on the set knew what had happened he just didn't show up for work Oof. and like when they asked Jackson it's like I'm not gonna say we fired him I'm not gonna say he quit he can decide to tell you what he wants to tell you about what happened um, but apparently I think he very diplomatically says, oh, we realized that we'd maybe cast the part a little too young. Yes. That's, that's the way they put it. <laughs> that's the way in hindsight we said, like, we want an actor with more experience and gravitas. Um, <laughs> well, Aragorn is meant to be what, 87? 87? So, you know, got to get some age on him. 87. Yeah. So I kind of, I, li I like that as well. Um, but yeah, it is, it is interesting that you end up with like this perfect cast. And yes, they are hot. Dee did mention in the group chat that they were hot. And I did like that. Andy immediately kind of jumped in and Andy is back in the conversation. He has recovered from that kind of like, he was, he was fanning, fanning himself. himself just thinking of those hot, <laughs> those hot orc boys. The listeners don't know. <laughs> I, I, I had a, I had a sneeze coming on, but it went away. When I when I talk about a sneeze he, and and the actors in oh, Lord but of like the Rings, um, you, you like Christopher I mean. Lee famously like he auditioned he wanted to be um, Gandalf um, and I love that like he's like no no you be the evil wizard that's what you're you going be to be the anti Gandalf <laughs> yeah, you can be the evil but like the cast of this is so so good and it again it's impossible to imagine anybody else doing this and it's amazing to think that like McKellen 
Like, McKellen was on such a run here because obviously he was cast in this before he was cast in X-Men. But they both come out roughly within about a year and a bit of one another. And all of a sudden he's this, like, he's an 87-year-old, or, you know, like a 70-whatever-year-old sensation, basically. Sorry. He 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 wanted to play uh, Professor Xavier. I think I mentioned when we were talking about Logan, like that was apparently one of James Mangold's most awkward conversations was going to tell Patrick Stewart that he was in Logan backstage and having Ian McKellen sitting there going, we want you to come back, Patrick, for Logan. And Ian McKellen just sitting there staring at him going, yes. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, Sorry, no, no, I, I I jumped in there, but I have to put a little word in for Arwen. I didn't I didn't understand her importance at the time, but looking back now, she's amazing. Please go ahead, Grace. Um, in terms of favorites, I don't know if I have a favorite really. You kind of love all of them in their own different ways. What I will say is that um, I do really love Baromir, and seeing as how he only gets this movie, I feel like it's important to um acknowledge him. I just I love how human he feels i mean i know he's literally meant to be human and the only like ordinary in inverted commas human because aragorn is not a normal man as we all know um and he just embodies like a nice like a really believable range of emotions in the course of the movie like he's the only one who really seems to show um how would you put it um complexity oh the word won't come to me no, not even complexity, but like it, it, he's fallible in a way that the other characters aren't, you know, like the others always seem to, everything yeah. just works for them. Like, you know, they barely get a scratch in them. I know Aragorn gets a bit beaten up, but like he doesn't really get dangerously hurt. Whereas Baromir has like moral hubris and then physical fallibility as well. And I think that just makes him, it sets him apart a little bit from the rest of them, especially like watching Fellowship at the time, he doesn't seem overly sympathetic. But I think when you see the extra weight his character gets in the later films in the deleted scenes, and then you go back and watch Fellowship, like it hits you that much harder. A very Sean Bean kind of uh, role. Well, yeah. Arguably the defining Sean Bean role, because it's the, it's the one where he dies. He's a good guy and he dies. Now, I know obviously he died in Patriot Games. I know he died in GoldenEye, but he was villains and it's expected that they die. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, like... Gandalf, not spoiler alert for the two towers, but like Boromir is the only member of the fellowship who really bites it. And like Jackson's talked about how the studio kept pressuring him to kill a hobbit, which I love, by the way. I love that they're like, just kill one of them. Just one of them. That's all we're asking. You've got Yeah, you don't need, you can settle with three. You could totally have killed one of those. Pepin, maybe. I was so worried yeah. about Mary and Pippin in the third one in that regard. I was like, what are those going to go? I yeah. just know But it. Studio's like, yeah, you, three yeah. hobbits. Everybody knows it's the rule of three. You, the four, one of them's got to go. Um, <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's one of those things that if they were made today, somebody would be like, okay, realistically, Mary and Pippin don't have that much to do later on. So we need to get rid of one or both of them and just be ruthless about it. Well, you'd have like a Game of Thrones thing <laughs> where like Merrin and Pippin are like dancing around and like kicking this like <laughs> uh, troll like kind of in the shins and that and kind of high-fiving each other and, and, um, and then they just get like their heads Smashed like, off. Uh, squashed in yeah while the other one looks well, I mean, on. look, again, like that's essentially it yeah well Jackson's Jackson what was his name Sam Sam Tarley from Game of Thrones 
um, doesn't die so <laughs> somehow. Like, it would seem like a perfect thing for Game of Thrones to do to to have well, that kind that's of. That's because he's the George R. R. Martin stand-in. Like he's the author stand-in, so he's not going to die. Um, but oh, okay. but like the the thing with yeah. So and like I think Jackson's talked about how like and this is not the Return of the King podcast, but he's talked about how hard it was to adapt these because you get to Return of the King and it's like, logically, if you are structuring that story, you make Minas Tirith a defeat so that like the heroes come back from their low point and they have the final confrontation. And he was like, I was very, very tempted to change that just to make the story better. But it was like, no, what Tolkien wrote stands. So the heroes go from a victory over evil to a second victory over evil in the course <laughs> of like the third and final movie. What about second breakfast? It is second victory over evil. <laughs> um, I, 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 will, I will second uh, Grace's kind of thing about Boromir because I think Boromir is, for me, the most interesting character here. And I think it's it's interesting that like, Game of Thrones is obviously a TV show that exists because of Lord of the Rings. It would not exist if this had not been the phenomenon that it was. And I love that it's like their lead actor for the first season of Game of Thrones is the crappy fellowship member, which is very much like establishing like the tone that we are going for with Game of Thrones. It's like, what if the most moral person in this universe was Boromir from Lord of the Rings? And I kind of find that I, I think that's I I do love Boromir. I love Faramir from the second movie as well, but because he feels so human, I don't really feel a connection to Aragorn or Legolas or even Gimli, comparatively speaking. Um, but what do you, how do you guys feel about those? I I, I definitely I, like I spoke earlier about connecting with Gimli, but 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 he's a, a very kind of shallow drawn character. But I, but I do I do feel his um, his sorrow. One um, person that I kind of. Um, um, identified a little bit with was Gandalf because he lives he, he's like walking around the Hobbit house like hitting his head I have a, a similar <laughs> situation in my house which was built um, I think to three quarters of person height I think is how you've described it 0. 0.75 person yeah, height yeah. Um, it's like a headmaster's house but like a, it, it's like it was built for the children <laughs> the, the, the um, a headmaster's house for someone who doesn't have a head Right, what? exactly. Hilarious. Yeah. The the headless master. The um Gandalf does um smoke too much of the halfling's leaf. Oh, like <laughs> Living his best life. life. And Bilbo in the extended edition does explain that hobbits do also have a passion for, for the pipe, as it were. Um Yeah, he's talking about he's got like the, say something about like the finest weed or something. <laughs> at some point i mean nobody talks about hobbiton's crack problem like i mean it just because it's again nobody really talks about how it's been ravaged by the epidemic unfortunately ah they're in the countryside (laughs) you know they can do yeah i don't think it's a problem maybe the reason they're all so happy in zen is because they're just stoned all of the time like they've got (laughs) it right they're stoned a lot they eat loads of food they have loads of drink Life is good. Like they, they've got it figured out. I was going to say it's like Leitrim, but there's this big kind of a r- rural kind of isolation problem there. I don't think Leitrim is even remotely aesthetically as pleasing as Hobbiton. No, except <laughs> for that I, one I, lake I, it I has. Sta- you know? I will stand up for 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 Leitrim. <laughs> anyway. But I want to talk a little bit about Peter Jackson. But before we do, just you mentioned Gandalf. I love how much Gandalf hates Perry Took. 
Like, I love that it's a recurring motif. Like, Took is by <laughs> far the least valuable member of the team. He's the one who wakes up the monster in the water outside the mine and the one who wakes up the goblins inside the mine. And I kind of, like, Gandalf is my spirit animal. Well, he like, and Merry collectively wake up the monster in Moria, to be fair. Fair, fair. No, P- fair. Pippin is probably at his most... Annoying. Well, not that he's annoying, but the moment you really want to smack him is when he starts f***ing around with the Palantir and you're just like, mate, again, why are you like this? Like, even Mary knows not to do that. I mean, the idea is they're kind of overgrown children, I suppose. Isn't that it? And I love that Gandalf is like the parent on the school field trip where it's like, I know I'm not allowed to swear at them, but I really want to, Mm -hmm. uh, which I kind of admire. It's an energy (laughs) that I do, do really admire in this movie. There's a lot of depth to Gandalf as well I think and to the nuance that Ian McKellen um, brings to that performance um, I have a few notes about the characters I'll zip through them because I could actually talk about them all day but I just love how with um, Ian McKellen and how he performs Gandalf is that he is powerful but there's a lot of vulnerability that he brings to the role as well and I think it's because it's by the nature of his status as a grey wizard right he knows that he's inferior to Saruman and that, you know, he can be beaten. And he is a lot between Saruman and the the Balrog, which, by the way, like the first time I saw the movie, thought was like literal Satan. And then when I heard him referred to as Al Balrog with subsequent watches, I was like, there's more than one of these. That is insane. Um, also, Christopher Lee has, if you haven't like watched the behind the scenes stuff, like he has the best blooper in the entire series, I think, which is when he's trying to get up the stairs. I think it is in Fellowship, actually, to sit in his chair and he, he his feet keep on catching on his robe and he's like, I can't <laughs> do it, Peter. Just can't. <laughs> <laughs> like, completely breaks character and frustration, which is amazing. Um, love all the hobbits as well. Sean Astin as Sam is just uh, brilliant. Apparently, he, like, carry, he had to, like, gain all the weight to play Samwise um, and he was really like unhappy and quite uncomfortable throughout the movie he's talked a bit about that um, he was also the only one of the hobbits who was a father at the time of filming and he really kind of carries that like sense of responsibility and the fact that he's kind of looking after the others and he's just that bit more mature um, which I think is really sweet I think we also need to establish a little bit about Legolas. Remember Orlando Bloom mania at the time between yes. this movie coming out and then there was Pirates and there was so much talk of like Legolas versus Will Turner except like it was obviously Legolas and then it was Will Turner versus Captain Jack and it was obviously Captain Jack so just Captain Jack Legolas just a lot of girls you know teenage girls well preteen girls you know they kind of there was an awakening there let's just say that um (laughs) um we talked a little bit about John Reese davies and I have to give a shout out. And if you can look up this article on Polygon, but Brett Beatty was actually Gimli's double in Lord of the Rings. And he did like literally like, I don't know, like 80% of the shots are actually this guy. He did like so many of the stunts, suffered so many injuries. John Reese davies as well was having like loads of allergic reactions to the makeup and stuff during filming. So I think that aside from like close-ups on his face, like apparently every other shot is this other guy and he talks about the amount of work that he did and wow it's just um extraordinary ian mckellen's talked about how he didn't really meet the hobbits on or the actors oh, playing wow, the hobbits yeah. until the press tour because like he was only in shots with like most of their body doubles yeah. which is kind of amazing and you can kind of see it in the 4k version in the wide shots you're like that's not elijah wood <laughs> <laughs> it's not tiny elijah the only downside wood. to that version <laughs> yeah 
It's like Elijah Plant is what that is. Um, yeah. sorry. And also Hugo Weaving is fantastic. And Viggo Mortensen. Actually, I've met Hugo Weaving and he is a very tall man. Oh my gosh, he is such a presence. Like, it was it was mad meeting him. Um, and he's very cool. So, yeah, like I said, if you let me go on, I'll keep I'll keep talking about yep. it. <laughs> and you mentioned like the, the performance there from McKellen notably modeled on Tolkien himself, which I thought was very, very clever as well. And you mentioned Samwise. Interesting thing I noticed because of the crazy way that I watched the movies is that one of the one of the knocks against the extended cut of Fellowship of the Rings, which I generally prefer, the extended cut, unfortunately, makes Sam straighter. Um, it's fascinating because like if you watch the theatrical cut of Fellowship of the Ring, the sequence where it's like, oh, Sam, you like Rosie, don't you? Go dance with Rosie. That plays as a sequence where, like, Frodo is trying to figure out why his male friend has never expressed an interest in girls. And so he's trying to force the issue and Sam really doesn't want to. And then... I think it's a moment of Frodo being like, yo, you have a giant crush on this woman that you keep staring at. Why don't you just go talk to her? But I think in the extended cut that... Yeah, okay, in the extended cut, it becomes too. a lot clearer. But I, th- I thought watching the theatrical cut, there's a real vibe of Sam doesn't want to do it. Um, and it's so you get that kind of like undertone between the two that I find interesting because, you know, again, the journey that they have, it's one of those things where there is subtext, I think, perhaps to that story of the yeah. two men well, carrying it, a burden in private, in secret together that nobody else can know about. But it's interpretation. Um, is, yeah. Is, 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 is no, I don't think Tolkien wrote it. I, I don't think Tolkien. Yeah, I don't think. No, t- but the, but that's that's what it means for you. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah, the, I'm not uh, imagining Tolkien, a Catholic, writing in the middle of the 20th century, was like, "Oh yes, and there shall be ho ye, there shall be ho ho ye." What are they really doing when they're cuddling up close at night? You know? Yeah, you got to keep warm. Um, uh, but okay, and then <laughs> what was, how did he break that carrot? <laughs> Sorry, the 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 um, there, there there was all those vegetables got um, messed up and um, and not eaten. It was uh, uh, food waste that we have to. to I think the vegetables uh, were the real heroes, weren't they? They're, they're yeah, my favorite yeah. characters. I think so. Like, like the and and we. I, I mean, I haven't seen the second and third movie. Do we come back to them? Yeah. I mean, Are, there is a there is like the there is something vegetation related that becomes a big deal later on. I mean, not to get too spoiler. Oh yeah, there there is. I I know this. There is a tree. There is a tree. There is a tree. Um, that um is um has some sort of a role. <laughs> There, there was a campaign, I think, when we were in college for him to get some sort of a, a um, post. Yes, because his name was uh, Ent. Pres- he was an Ent, so he should have been the Ent officer. Oh, okay. Ah. Oh. I see. Entertainment officer. Andy knows about entertainments um, because we got an Ents card um, the one, one weekend when we were in Dublin. It, it it just kind of found it on the ground and oh um, had lots of yeah. cheap clues. remember uh, that we appear I to have so. lost grace actually um so oh but oh, oh come back grace gonna... can i can i talk a bit before we move yep. on darren go for it i don't know i, I just, every time i come on i think I'll, I'll keep quiet until it's my turn and then we move on no to the yeah next no section, jump ahead so. interrupt <laughs> i also yeah, worry no, about absolutely that. go for it sorry <laughs> sorry no, no, it's cool. But I, um, I need to give a shout out to my man Gandalf, who, in you know, more like Gandalf in, the in Great. The... Am I right? <laughs> yeah. Hey. Or as Ian McKellen himself says, Gandalf the Gay. Have you, um, have you read that interview with him from The Hobbit where he like accidentally outs four like of his cast members? 
<laughs> I, I don't think he, like it wasn't malicious but like he was asked a question by German press he's about, just so, about just casually it's like so out and proud yeah, no, it's like, he can't help what's it. it like being a gay man in Hollywood how have things changed it's like well when I was on the cast of Lord of the Rings I was the only gay man in the movie now you look at the cast of The Hobbit and I'm surrounded by gay men look Lee Pace over there yeah. the guy who plays uh, the bard him as well and it's like half of these people aren't aren't out Ian it's like yeah, it's like, oh, oh, never mind. Um, forget that I said it. Martin Freeman. <laughs> Can you imagine them just hearing that interview and just like looking <laughs> so shocked? Like, what? Like, I'm, I'm sorry, half of them were just English. <laughs> yeah. I thought that's what you meant. That's what your question was. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Andy. Uh, but I, I love Gandalf. Um, you, you know, the, the, Regardless of the book's law or how how powerful or or frail the the script and and McKellen want to make him, genuine force of nature character, um, I will always gravitate to the the Doctor Whoish character. Um, he he wanders the earth just doing nice things, with like, and he doesn't do violence he he tricks other people into doing violence for him which is my favorite thing and they, they you know quite notably they they don't include tom bombadil yes in in this um but i get something grace said at the very start sort of um flick, flicked a little switch in my head that you know um like these things go back to um the, the 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 start of the the Bible or something I can't remember what she said or, or we're we're talking about like British British um, mythology mythology um, and we have a pre-Christian mythology that's incredibly rich that I'm only just starting to learn about um, I mean not necessarily English but certainly sort of like west west coast west coast of Great Britain. Um, and, and Wales, where I'm from, the um, the historical folklore is so rich and deep and intense. I think that as much as he drew on other sources, um, thing like creatures like Gandalf, Tom Bombadil, and the Ents, they are very much like ancient Celtic yeah. roots of the land. And there is something in there, in Fellowship for me at least, about actually growing up and leaving your hometown and experiencing like actually understanding the the context in which your tiny town resides and learning about the history of your your people and to, you know in um in in the book Tom Bombadil isn't that far into the no. book. He he shows up pretty soon. So all really as soon as they leave the Shire. Like, yeah, yeah. Like... So all all Frodo would have had to do is like go for a long walk one day and he would have, he would have encountered some actual local folklore. <laughs> I mean, but I, I love that. In, like, yeah, so, I, again, my, my experience reading the Lord of the Rings books is that it took me like five attempts to do it because like they spend so long in the freaking Shire. Like, so I was like, okay, as a teenager, first time I try and read it, I'm like, okay, I can't get through the Shire. Second, I'm like, okay, I'll just power through the Shire. Then the good stuff is going to happen. And then they spend, what, three chapters in Tom Bobadil's house? 
um, from this weird man. And like, I love that, like, when they get to the Council of Elrond in the books, like, Gandalf is like, so just so we're clear, giving the ring to Tom Bobadil is a viable strategy, except that he'd probably forget that he had it. So, okay, just forget that Tom Bobadil exists. It's not really important. Never mind. Um, but I, I kind of, yeah, I, I find the Bobadil stuff kind of fascinating um, with regards to kind of the thing. And yeah, it is it is cut from the film probably for the better, I would say. Probably for the best. Yeah. I think they, there's, they do have similar adventures um, featuring the Ents, the Entrath. Yes. That that are quite similar to some stuff that happens with Tom They Bobadil. take some of the dialogue and repurpose the, it as well. Yeah. Yeah. These these forces of nature that are just wandering around the 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 map, I think, are very clear in the books. Like, I think the films have to make it sort of much more perilous. Like, ooh, are we going to win? But the the forces of good in the books never ever feel that overwhelmed. And they they really had to nerf Gandalf the White in in Return of the King, for example, because otherwise there would be no stakes. Because he's Gandalf the freaking white, um, but let, let's let's not go let's not go there. Um, Grace, uh, unfortunately, her Wi-Fi has died. She may not be joining us, so I'm probably going to wrap this up then. Um, just before we do, though, I want to talk a little bit about like Peter Jackson as a director because this is, and I think I think Grace actually mentioned it earlier on. This is very much a Peter Jackson movie because there is nothing in Jackson's filmography before this. That would suggest that he was the man you could trust with a $360 million shoot in <laughs> the Southern Hemisphere, far away from Hollywood, with any supervision whatsoever um, happening around. Is that for the three? That's yeah. for the three. Yeah, okay. Um, Like $360 million uh, for that initial shoot between, um, you know, the between... Uh, 1999 and 2000. Not, not including reshoots and, and not including things. reshoots or anything like that. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and like nothing in his filmography. He was a guy who had done a couple of horror movies. They'd been kind of throw away. He'd done a couple of indie movies. He'd done a movie with Michael J. Fox that had bombed. There's nothing in his filmography that says this guy right here is the guy who's going to make an epic. And indeed, like the reason why he agreed to do Lord of the Rings was because like after Weinstein had the rights, he was like, well, look, if you're not going to make these two Lord of the Rings movies, I'm going to give you. I'll just have Quentin Tarantino make a single Lord of the Rings movie. And Jackson was like, no, 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 you're not going to do that. That is not going to happen. Well, um, I love, by the way, that Weinstein... Quentin Tarantino could do three... Um... Movies and then count them as one movie. That that'd be a, yeah. You just count them as as like, that'd be one of his ten. Yeah, Lord of the Rings, Volume One, Volume Two, Volume Three. But like, what I like about Fellowship of the Rings is that it reminds me a lot of Sam Raimi's Spider Man, which came out around the same time, two thousand two, where you have this director who's worked in indie cinema whose work is incredibly practical and incredibly physical. Um, like, so using a lot of models, using a lot of old-fashioned film techniques like cranking. Very famously, a lot of the work they did with The Hobbits was just forced perspective. Um, they've talked about how, like, the most effective cinematic technique they used for capturing the size of The Hobbits was to ask the actors to, like, kneel down in the shot. That was like the most reliable method of shooting a hobbit with a regular sized person. Um, things like building models that were like what they call bigatures instead of miniatures. Um, things like forced perspective shots are building a props. So like, for example, that sequence where Frodo falls down the, the hill in the snow 
and the ring is in extreme close-up and Frodo's in the distance, that ring is the size of uh, Elijah Wood's hand in order to make that shot look good. Things like the uh, compositing of the like Nazgul, where they look like kind of monsters from some sort of like 50s movie, where they're all against a green screen and they're all lit in kind of extremely green colours and shot in canted angles. Like, I, I really like that this feels like, it doesn't feel like every other movie. And I think that when people tried to make more movies like it, and I would compare, like, say, the Harry Potter movies, with the exception of The Prisoner of Azkaban, or like Immortal, or like, um, you know, any of the movies that followed kind of trying to imitate uh, Fellowship of the Ring, what they missed was, like, that that tangibility and practicality. And it felt like this... I can't imagine anybody but Peter Jackson making this. Ridley Scott's version of this would be different. Uh, Quentin Tarantino's version of this would be very different. Um, Could I cut in there and say that um, all the movies that are trying to be like this, including the Hobbit movies. Oh, not to jump too far ahead there. Um, Like apparently, like in terms of like directors um, that Weinstein had lined up, because Weinstein had such a like a hard on for Shakespeare and Love, the movie that won the Best Picture Oscar back in 1999. He wanted like John Madden, the director of that, to make a Lord of the Rings movie. Um, And I just like I love how much of this is a is a Jackson movie. And again, things like, say, like building an entire infrastructure around it. So having Wingnut Films, the company that produced it, having um, the Weta Digital. When Weta Digital, maybe the first time we're going to have to cancel an entire company on this podcast uh, because of like various investigations that were held into practices that took place there. Uh, and the fact that they've basically been like sold off for spare parts at this point earlier this year uh, because they were deemed wasn't that craze for like is sold for like a crazy amount of money or something? Yeah. Did I read that in headlines recently? Yeah, Jackson basically sold it off. It was un unsalvageable, basically. Oh no, he he's making a lot of money. It's now a video game company as opposed to a film company, if I remember correctly. Basically they they discovered that the workplace environment was so toxic that um they had to repeatedly clear the servers for pornography that male coworkers were sharing with one another. Um to get that's that's a sense of like what was happening there. Uh, yeah, not not the best or most welcoming or constructive environment. But like the idea that all of that was like, but the idea that Jackson built an infrastructure that could make these movies. Um, like you go to New Zealand now and so much of New Zealand's tourism and like we, here in Ireland, so much of our tourism is Game of Thrones tourism. I know people who like have come to like visit our offices on business trips and they will nip across the border up to Northern Ireland to go and see the Game of Thrones tour because it's that big a draw. And like you go to New Zealand and New Zealand is still selling itself as the home of the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. And I, I can't like, or it is really Middle Earth. And I like that that feels so personal. Like it, it's, it's odd that a movie this big feels this unique, if that makes sense. Like it, it bits of it feel like a horror movie. Why, why did that never work out for the, uh, for the Sahara desert tourist industry? <laughs> What what will be what will be the equivalent movie for the Sahara Desert? The, the, the Star Wars. Tunisia. Tunisia does so, have like Tunisia, a big, Tunisia does really, have a so big. They do Star Wars tours. They do Star. Yeah, you can go really. and visit the. They they perfectly maintain the Skywalker Homestead. Like it's arguably better maintained than most of the government buildings, apparently, according to accounts that I've read. Always, because again, you will have people. It's always like the, the, like these burnt bodies outside and smoke <laughs> coming up. <laughs> yeah. I was um, over in Tunisia actually, and one of the tours that were being offered was um, going out to the Star Wars. But it's miles out. When I heard that, I was like, "Look, I'm not that big a Star Wars fan. I'll give it a chance." 
New Zealand, yes. But if I'm in the country and it's that far right now. Like, but they use so much of New Zealand that you have, like, no matter where you are in New Zealand, you are probably no farther than half an hour away from a location uh, for the shooting of these movies. All right. Then, like the fjords and everything. Yeah, it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's a gorgeous. And, and again, like, it, like those helicopter shots. Like, I love that so much of this movie is like montage. Like a montage of men, men at work where they just leave like the, the uh, Rivendale. I just got to just get this montage of like, and we're marching through fields and we're marching over rocks and we're marching through snow. And you get a real sense that like most of their journey was fairly uneventful. Um, and it's just like occasionally we end up in like, you know, mountains where we get attacked by giant octopuses and balrogs. But most of it was just a really pleasant trip for boys. Um, they're just walking for so yeah. many of the shots like if you actually add yeah. up yeah. how much time walking <laughs> hiking I, I kind of like I want the bit at the end to be like when they're reminiscing on it Frodo's like yeah there's a lot more walking than people remember in that journey it's crazy, That's- crazy that they don't have horses I do not understand <laughs> like, why 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 they why they didn't um, uh, bring it's, horses it's because um because um Peter Jackson couldn't work out the rules for mounted combat. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, can, can does that, do, um, uh, now the horse also has an action. Uh, <laughs> it has two attacks. Roll, roll for Bill the Pony. It can bite. Bill the Pony And has. it can strike. <laughs> Bill the Pony cannot go into the mines. <laughs> That's that's on his rider. Unfortunately, we have to let him go. Um, Pony can go into the mine, but has disadvantage. Um, and and I guess then before before we wrap up, just one more thing I found because it's it's both as it's a sign of how little things have changed. One of the interesting things when the movie was released was interviewing Tolkien fans about their expectations for like the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And whether they were excited at the fact that these movies were going to be massive and people were going to go see them and people were finally going to share in the things that these book lovers truly enjoyed, that it would be part of the monoculture. And the responses are exactly what you might expect. They're intellectuals, says Harry Knowles of Ain't It Cool News talking about book readers, and they don't ever let you forget it. (laughs) The day Frodo is on a pair of pajamas, I'm going to cry, said David Carroll Russo, a 28-year-old graduate student from UCLA. Have they no respect? Some of the fans are secretly praying that the hubbub will quickly die down. If the movie's a blockbuster, they fear the masses will crash what was once an elite, albeit a geeky club. Anyone can join, and suddenly it's lost some of its speciousness. People are going to look at it now, and they're going to think, we share something in common said Ted Shorp, co-founder of TolkienOnline.com. If the movie fails, I'll have a sense of relief. It's selfish, I know, but I'll have a snobbish attitude of, thank goodness, I can still enjoy my books. That guy's very self-aware. Like, <laughs> Completely uh, self-aware. I assume you're not going to read anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that they... Who got the idea in their head that Lord of the Rings was like, literature <laughs> high art it's 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 genre fiction it's written for teenagers you read it when you're a teenager yeah is it particularly intellectual or is it just that it's a slog that you have to do a lot of reading <laughs> like, to, to, to to get through it and that if that if you just like kind of 
things that everybody likes. You 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 probably wouldn't kind of um, maintain it, well, yourself to all the scene setting. Because you, yeah, because you have to pay attention and read several pages. It's the same as the to bring it back to D and D. You know, it's like oh, that's for math geeks because you have to do maths and there are dice and there are numbers involved. If you want to read Lord of the Rings, there are words involved. <laughs> it, it's just it's for geeks and losers. At, yeah. Just one one more before I go. Uh, one, just, at a Beverly Hills bookstore, one fan and his friends came to a sobering realization. Frodo, their god, the ultimate unlikely hero who saved Middle-earth, the icon of all that is good and noble, was just being hawked like Britney Spears. No, it's going to be North. That quote has not aged well. <laughs> no, really no. no not, not at all. Um, all right, then. Um, Frodo, the classic white guy. <laughs> perfectly self-aware. Um, all right. Before we wrap up, is there anything else we want to talk about this movie? Anything we haven't discussed? Anything jumping out at, at Andy, D, uh, Andrew? Anything we want to chat about? Um, I don't think we talked about how hot the orcs are. Um, that is a good point. We, you, pro- I did promise that we would give you a whole segment, Andy. Go, go to town on it. <laughs> I will go to town on Lutz. Uh, yeah. He's so freaking jacked, man. He's, he's the one who Sauron calls up to his study in his undies, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Still, exactly. still covered in mud, and he's like, "Oh, you, be- you better not touch my white robes." I mean, look, if you're gonna get dirty, you don't need to get clean. Andy <laughs> shared something Sorry. great with me a, a long time ago that I'll, I'll share with the group after this. Oh dear, um, <laughs> no, no, not in any it, form where it can be reproduced. Yeah. No, it's 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 the um, it's the Bob bot thing where it's kind of orcs speaking in, in normal voices. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, gosh. <laughs> well, be- be- because Andy did let me know ahead of time, I can assure Andy we have in the show notes a ranking of the hot orcs of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I think number two will surprise you. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Um, and D and D Andrew, anything you guys want to say? Anything that we haven't said already? Anything you think merits discussion? I definitely add in about just the quotability of these movies. I mean, my gosh, me and, um, well, particularly um, my husband's friends, like we just drop Lord of the Rings quotes into conversation all the time. When Darren approached me about doing this, I literally answered him, answered him being like, I will take the podcast. It will be my precious. In other words, yes. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, you shall not pass. One does not simply like just so quotable so memeified obviously we've all got our own like favorite like you know video like music video re-edits and all that stuff it's just oh it's just it's just such a great text that has ended up yeah in spite of its earnestness kind of maybe because of its earnestness has ended up being replied being applied to kind of contemporary humor so readily um and then the second thing i have to give out a shout out to is Howard Shore's score I mean it's just it's so gorgeous like the Shire music literally brings me to my happy place like I hear that music mm. and I just start to smile and I think that's kind of why Fellowship is my is one is is a big reason anyway why it's my favorite one is just the Shire and that world which I just like if I could visit there every summer with that music playing in the background <laughs> I would just lead a very content life. <laughs> Speaking of quotes, uh, the 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 one 
that I, I don't think I have heard and I, I don't know how kind of memed it is, but I, I imagine it should be because you could use it all the time is, is what is this new devilry? <laughs> yes. um, I feel, I feel like that, that should be like apropos, like all, all the time, you know? I do use that one quite a bit. Okay. Like, I, I think like it's notable that again this comes around the same time. Like it it nestles neatly within um the Star Wars prequel trilogy, and it's notable that like the generation that grows up with the Lord of the Rings and the Star Wars prequel trilogy are the first online only generation. And so I think you see a lot of Lord of the Rings memes. You see a lot of Star Wars prequel trilogy memes. Um, things like that, that sort of stuff. You know, I mean, I'm pretty sure these orcs also hate Sans because it's coarse and rough and it gets everywhere. Um, it's funny because I've seen the I've seen the Harry Potter ones as well but they're just not they just take themselves a bit too seriously they can never go that far (laughs) (laughs) careful now there are fans in bookstores in Beverly Hills who will be offended to hear that Harry Potter take themselves more seriously thank you very much (laughs) the the ring raids do hate water um so that they 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 have a kind of a Hayden Christensen esque uh, an yeah, equivalent yeah. anti Hayden um, and like we we mentioned Howard Shore's Howard Shore's score there it's notable as well that like he takes cues from Wagner as well which is like a wonderful tipping of the hand so even when Tolkien's like no 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 completely original nothing to do with that other ring cycle uh, Shore's like I I I see you and I call you which I kind of kind of admire um, <laughs> and yeah and again like again just it arriving at the perfect time like the extended cuts of these are something that could only exist on DVD which is something that could only have existed uh, at that moment in time because A DVDs had to exist it couldn't have existed on VHS can you imagine having a 4 VHS copy of like Return of the King extended edition where you have to change it like once every hour and 20 minutes (laughs) (laughs) you didn't watch the VHS version that would that would be a great way to break it up so you had some decent toilet breaks during but like interminable film the other thing that was so important about those DVDs if I may defend them I know they've aged but like you know how you got your second disc with all the special features and then you can watch all the behind the scenes and totally geek out oh I loved yeah I loved it like and and that's that I would argue is like so much of like so much of what's perfect about Lord of the Rings per- arriving like at the perfect moment is that like because like this was around the same time as the Matrix which was one of the first DVDs to have special features on it and like it was before studios just release realized we can release whatever crap stick a bunch of trailers on there and maybe like three minutes of dudes in chairs talking about movies and that'll be enough like this is the point where it's like no if we want people to buy these we actually have to put something worthwhile so it's like I think Grace said. 14 hours on each disc of Peter Jackson explaining in great detail like how he made these movies which I kind of adore uh, but Andrew anything you want to talk about anything we haven't discussed already anything jumping out at you um no no I, I, I um the uh, the statues at um at Argonaut um are very impressive but a bit improbable like the the way the way the the hand kind of just kind of rests out there, sort of not not really suspended by anything. But um, I mean that doesn't really matter. <laughs> Andrew, yeah. Andrew, whenever you see something like that and you can't explain it, I want you to think to yourself: <laughs> a wizard did it. That that is actually a a very good point. Um, <laughs> uh, and. Um, and that the, yeah, you can kind of forgive a lot of that sort of stuff, um, by by just saying that. Like like it it's it's a problem with 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 uh, Star Wars is 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 kind of since the prequels they have to actually like explain things. But I think previous to the prequels in like the fiction that was kind of made around us, they were explaining things all the time. 
and kind of where um people the expanded like, universe and stuff like that yeah. yeah 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 how like lightsabers don't just kind of shoot off into space <laughs> definitely it's, it's, it's stop at a point and yeah. yeah yeah it's because it's because they're using the force all of the time Yep, just to, to rein it in. Control yeah. it, yeah. <laughs> that was I'm actually an explanation, it. Andy. I, I wish I were kidding, yeah. but that's so the logic. Why, why, <laughs> when? <laughs> why not make it longer, then? <laughs> um, because size uh, is not everything, Andrew. A true Jedi knows. <laughs> yeah. It's not the size, it's what you do with it, apparently. Sorry, this is a very tasteful conversation we are having. It's not the size. Um... <laughs> But to bring Sorry, it back okay. to Lord of the Rings, um, yeah, again, okay. I haven't read the book because I can't really say. But yeah, it, I, I do think the and this is why I prefer the theatrical version, to be honest, to the extended is that in terms of explaining. So, you know, like Andrew was saying there, it doesn't overly explain, you know, um, it just gets into the kind of crux of the story and the action and where these characters are going. And I think that that would have been a very difficult task. And that's another thing that really it deserves a shout out for is just how terrifically adapted they are yeah. the trilogy and and again like to speak to i think the point that both you and, and andy made about like the different like treating the movies as different films i think you can tell that fellowship of the rings was made when jackson wasn't sure if audiences were going to have any of this crap where like i think like this is a movie that is aware that audiences don't know what middle earth is and maybe don't care what middle earth is and so it like has to sell you on middle earth as a concept so like it's notable that like like there are title cards here that there aren't in other films like so when for example you jump forward to frodo like waiting for gandalf the text at the bottom of the screen says the shire 60 years later which doesn't happen anywhere else in the trilogy that i'm aware of um things like the exposition dump that you get at the start with gadriel which is like everything that you need to know about these movies in 3 minutes or less um and the fact that when you watch something like say an unexpected journey the first hobbit movie which is very much like a redone version of this movie this looks like a like independent budget kind of like low budget modest i'm really tempering myself and i'm a very restrained filmmaker approach to telling this story and i think that even when you get to like the two towers and particularly return of the king you could probably argue that at least in the editing bay Jackson has become like a lot more confident in himself and a lot more confident that like, oh, of course, audiences are going to turn up for this. Of course, audiences are going to buy into this. Of course, audiences want more of this stuff and more of this esoterica and more of this lore and more of these flashbacks and more of this exposition. Um, Speaking of more of this, let's wrap up. <laughs> that's a fair Sorry. point. Let's wrap up. All right. So... <laughs> All right, so uh, what we usually do at the other podcast is we ask our guests to recommend something, something they're enjoying at the moment, something that brings them pleasure. So to give Dee and Andy a chance to think about it, I'm going to ask Andrew to go first. Um, I will recommend the um, Color of Magic. It's the the uh, the first um, uh, Terry Pratchett novel. Um, and um, I don't think I've recommended it before, um, although I'm, I may have. Um, yeah, no, and it's, color me surprised. It's it's it, it's quite good, but it's a kind of a it's interesting because it's a sort of a seems to me anyway a quest for 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 nothing in particular, <laughs> like and it did it it's 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 an interesting kind of um, inversion of some of the kind of um, uh, tropes. It's very funny. Um, it's quite well written. Um, and um, I think I, th I think people would enjoy it. It's not too long either. It's um, yeah. All right, and Andy, what would you recommend? What are you enjoying at the moment? 
to, to bring it back to the ancient mythology, I I recently finished a book called If Women Rose Rooted, which um, definitely appeals to my my non-masculine, non-heterosexual ways that are just like it, it brings you, but it also brings you back to um, like a yeah pre-christian myths uh, on on great Britain so very similar and, to the end stuff Ireland. the tom bobadil stuff that you're um, mentioning yeah. yeah 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 um but also how much better the world would be if <laughs> to bring it back to these films if maybe it was a fellowship of women making the decisions and they they hadn't been completely sidelined <laughs> by <laughs> by the men throughout the entire history of middle earth all right, and D, what would you recommend? Um, I have three quick recommendations, if I may. All of them are Lord of the Rings related because <laughs> I'm that big a fan. Uh, the Friendship Onion podcast, I've been massively enjoying the last few um, months. It's hosted by Dominic Monaghan and Billy Boyd, Ooh. a.k.a. Marion Pippin. Um, a lot of them, is a lot of it is just them shooting the shit, to be honest, and just kind of having a laugh with one another because they're very good friends in real life, but they do answer, you know, fan questions about Lord of the Rings. They have like quizzes with fans, really tough questions. So if you're a fan, I definitely recommend that. And they have had episodes where they've had Elijah Wood on and uh, Sean Astin as well. So really recommend that. Um, Tolkien starring Nicholas Holt and Lily Collins is an interesting kind of accompanying film to this um, following J.R.R. Tolkien kind of in, really in his earlier life. It doesn't really go all the way up to him writing Lord of the Rings, but it kind of I suppose, like, is reflecting on his earlier influences and what kind of, you know, themes and events that were coming up and events in his life that did kind of influence his work. So stuff we were talking about today, even like the impact of the war on him um, growing up, kind of, you know, his the friendships he made in college and how they were kind of his own fellowship. Um, so I thought that that was a really interesting movie in that regard. And it's actually streaming on Disney Plus now. And then for books, I know there have been loads of books written about um the making of the Lord of the Rings, but one I particularly enjoyed, and it's only like four quid on Amazon now, is The Lord of the Rings, The Films, The Books, The Radio Series by Jim Smith and J. Clive Matthews. So what I quite liked about this was hearing about the different means by which um, the series has been adapted over the years on radio um, and like on TV as well as the films. So it kind of ends with the films as kind of the successful project and kind of reflects on the less successful projects. Um, but it also touches on kind of what you were talking uh, about at the start of the podcast, Darren, about, you know, rights issues and stuff like that. So I thought that that was quite interesting as well. So, yeah, if you're a big LOTR fan, I'd recognize I would recommend all of those. Oh, so we're we're keen on Tolkien. Um, all right, uh, can we get can we get um, Billy Billy Boyd and, um, <laughs> for for the two towers next year? I'll, I'll talk to yeah, our. Booking. I mean, why didn't why didn't you get them for for this? Part? Well, I mean, they were they were our second choices. Like, I mean, look, if you guys had said no, like maybe we would have had Vigo Mortensen was third. D D Darren and D, I, I know you guys work in the industry to to varying extents. So I'm sure you can pull a few strings. Actually, would you believe Dominic Dominic Monaghan was actually here in recent months as well, filming a Netflix pilot, and I would not have known if I hadn't been listening to this podcast. And Dominic was like, "Yeah, I'm in Dublin now." And I was like, "What? Where?" I, I, but there's nothing in the news <laughs> about it other than in this podcast. I was like, "No, I can't stalk him." God I, darn it! 
<laughs> I want the record to show that Andy suggested that we ditch Andrew and just myself and Dee co-host a podcast with Dominic Moynihan and Billy Boyd. Um, You'd get some bigger names, but the, uh, the the random element of Andrew Quinn could not be replaced. Can yeah. I say for people who don't like Lord of the Rings and maybe want to get into Lord of the Rings, there's actually a podcast, Newcomers, with uh, Lauren Lapkus and Nicole Byer, oh. where they, they, they talk about Star Wars, because neither, neither of them kind of had watched Star Wars nor kind of had any interest. And being improv comedians, they had a lot of male improv comedians saying, oh my God, you haven't watched Star Wars. And this is basically <laughs> kind of an opportunity for, 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 for people to kind of walk them through that experience. But they, they cover Lord of the Rings um, as well. And I think they, they do most everything. Like, um, uh, as, as in, actually, I don't know if they read any books. <laughs> That's one thing. So these kind of watch along <laughs> podcasts, I think they expect that people will watch a movie, will uh, like watch a TV show on Disney Plus, but will not listen read a to book. an album. Yeah, yeah, yeah won't yeah, read a book. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's because they're not true fans, Andrew. Like those people crying in the aisles of the Beverly Hill Bookshop. It's difficult to been... read books. Like, they're, <laughs> they have words in them. Talking about this. And the, the, I, I kind of was saying that like most books I will listen to um, if I can. Well, as, as you're walking or as you're running, it, it makes yeah, more yeah. sense that way. Uh, in terms of recommendations for myself, uh, I'm going to be very immodest here. The first thing I'm going to say is uh, my video series at The Escapist is wrapping up or has wrapped up. By the time this has come out, we are transitioning into a more podcast focused thing. So I'll be doing stuff with Jack Packard, who's been a guest on here before. Uh, but I did a series of videos over the course of last year with Omar Ahmed editing in the frame. Uh, I'm really proud of them. Uh, if people want to check those out, really you don't good. have to. I, um, I really enjoy them. I very much enjoyed your Promising Young Woman episode. I'm oh, thank you. you. Um, but yeah, so I, I would wholeheartedly, uh, like, I uh, I think Omar is great. I think the guy who is narrating them is basically competent. Um, but the the editing by, by Omar is amazing. Um, and then the other thing I would recommend is, uh, because this is kind of related to the fellowship, I've been reading comic books again because I've been having free time. It's fantastic. Everybody should have free time. Um, and I've been enjoying uh, John Hickman's run on X-Men, which pauses in the middle for a gigantic event, which is basically a swords and sorcery divorce drama about Apocalypse, the big blue smurf uh, bad guy from X-Men. And it's kind of amazing. Um, so I would wholeheartedly recommend that if you like comic books and you like Lord of the Rings. And then finally, get a, sorry, apologies. Finally, I'm just going to recommend, you know, that the Hobbit movies aren't as bad as everybody says they are. I yes, quite enjoyed Desolation of Smaug. Um, You're wrong. That's my recommendation. You can take no, it or leave it. Categorically Smaug. wrong. I'm going to get you cancelled. I do feel, I'm not going to lie. I do feel like giving them another go. I don't know. You've kind of talked me into it now. And and we did get all the Blu-rays from Ivan's family recently. So hey, maybe we'll go for it. <laughs> Darren, Darren likes some strange movies anyway. Was it like... Uh, <laughs> I can't really comment on your taste in movies because often when you're telling me about how a movie is really not as bad as, as people says it is, I don't believe you and I, I, don't, I don't go ahead and take your recommendation. Seriously. Like, I, I think there was an example years ago when you were saying like Jupiter Ascending. And I'd seen like trailers and all that sort of thing and I was like... Um, oh, I'm no. glad I've, I'm... I've three times tried to watch that film <laughs> and I can't get through the first 20 minutes. You know what, what's, what's really great about podcast relationships is the mutual respect that we have for each other. Um, all right. If listeners are looking for a bit of Andy, a bit of D online, where can they find you guys? So Andy, where are you at? What are you doing? What are you up to? 
I I'm offline at the moment. I'm not anywhere. Hopefully. All right. Hope. Okay, hopefully. Uh, Dee, what about yourself? Where are you at? What are you doing? Yeah, I'm over at entertainment.ie. You can find all my, uh, you know, movie reviews, on-demand reviews and general news and whatnot there. Um, and then I'm also on Twitter at Deirdre Malumby. That's D-E-I-R-D-R-E-M-O-L-U-M-B-Y. Perfect. And we, we can find us on Stitcher on SoundCloud, probably wherever you're listening to us right now. I don't know why I include recommendations for where you can listen to the podcast at the end of the podcast. Yeah, if you don't like the <laughs> the the app that you're listening to us now on, you can probably find us on other ones. Yeah, like Podlink if, I've discovered is really useful, actually. It, it has all of the little... Um, or but if yeah, you so, went over to listening on Spotify because because you love Joe Rogan. And, and because, <laughs> as, as Joe Rogan fans, you're probably also fans of us. You can, you can <laughs> we have the same that. energy, I think. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, um, and give us five stars, by the way. Like, yeah, yeah. Write a review. Rate review. Like, what? yeah, it helps get word out there. I'm always. What should they say in the review? Uh, that you really like us, I Tell guess. Us which one of us you prefer? <laughs> don't, don't pick say your that. favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Choose your champion. Yeah. Um, I'm always like when I browse our our podcasts. I'm always really happy when I see other listeners like, and it's like good shows, and I'm like, okay, that's. That's reassuring. Um, all right, then. And then we'll be back next week. Next week will be Christmas. Now, one of two things may have happened. First thing is we may have had a surprise entry on the list because December is stacked with movies. So you may get a special bonus midweek episode covering Spider-Man No Way Home or The Matrix Resurrections or possibly even Kenneth Branagh's Belfast. I don't know. I'm not going to predict one of those. But if that happens, we'll be back next week, which will be Christmas Day. And we'll be covering Some Like It Hot with the wonderful Renuck Gregor um, and... Uh, by the way, Andy's eyebrows have raised. It is not Christmas Day next week as we're recording this. Just to be clear, Andy, uh, the podcast hasn't been going no, that sorry, long. I, I, um, to do some I'm, 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 just, yeah. I'm just getting excited for uh, Spider-Man. Uh, sorry. And, and we'll be back uh, next week with Some Like It Hot with the wonderful Rena McGregor, fantastic Shining Line. Thank you so much. Thank you, T. Thank you, Andy. Thank you so much. And thank you, Andrew, thank as you. ever. Thank you to right. Grace as well. Yeah, and um, thanks to Grace yeah. as well, actually. Thanks, everyone. Right. Thanks, Grace. Bye, guys. Thanks, Bye. T. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Darren. I love you all.